Is it, it is. P A U L. Yeah. Can you spell your last name? Uh. Can you tell us your last name? What's my last name? Oh, God. What's my, uh. <laughs> this way not. Miller. Miller? Miller. You're totally lying to me, aren't you? Yeah. Okay, what'd you get? Well, are we on? Are we rolling? Yep. Let's see, for the wife. Uh. Where is it now? No, that's not for the wife. That's for my brother. You know, that's for my brother-in-law. Ah, ah, here we go. For the wife, she said she lost her crown, so we got her that. And uh, for my sister, who's a DJ, we got her that, her own Hannah Montana wireless. So there's a lot of serious Christmas shopping going on today. Oh, yeah. And the thing is, there's two dogs over there already. I thought that my son was being left out, so I thought I'd pick him up a quick one there. You know? Do you always like to do uh, some early shopping? Well, to be honest, I think we were... What were we getting? Toilet paper or was it toothpaste? And then one thing led to another and... and I don't know. It's just the spirit of the holidays, right? To get out and about? I think so. I think, uh, yeah, exactly that. Just from the love of my heart, I think. So, uh, really, what's your name? Um... Have the people text in and guess. No, come on. I bet somebody's gonna you know. I call you Paul Miller. I bet really somebody's gonna name. know. Somebody's gonna know. Frank will know. Frank will know your name. Yeah. Will you tell us? Frank's not working today. Are you kidding me? You think those people are working today? I That's know. how we're out here. <laughs> Just say Paul. You provide his last name. And, and the winner gets. A hand on my Yeah. That is pretty scary, isn't it? I mean, it's for like a 65-year-old man as a joke. Well, anyway. I think you look like a Paul that used shopping. to be in a good band around here. Yeah. That would be me. Awesome. Yeah. You know who he is? Yeah. Okay. Okay, sweet. All right. What's up, buddy? Hey, it's dark here. Um, probably dark where you are. It's a little, it's a little dark in my room, but whatever. <laughs> it's all good, man. I'm just glad. It's okay. Welcome to Zanzi's podcast. We'll just jump right into it. Um, rad, raddest of daddest uh, here joined. I, you know what? We haven't dubbed you. I've thought about this. Mm-hmm. I feel like 
I feel like if I'm if I'm shooting from the hip, there's a few ideas, mostly because you're you're going to be in the future and from now on, kind of the music history guy. So I feel like mu- and and conjoining that with the most recent awesome news of you being a dad, we could call <laughs> you music dad. That works. I'll perfect. Take it. Perfect. <laughs> I'll take it. I mean. In keeping with today's topic of the replacements, I feel like it works pretty well that way. Um, For sure. I'll take it. All right. So let's just get into it because I've been dying to talk about this. I I always want to talk about the replacements. Specifically because, for me, this is the quintessential American Midwest band. 100%. I'll agree with you on that. I'll I'll, I'll say them. But for just looking at, like, Midwestern band like quintessential midwestern band rock and roll band i'd say them and husker do mm-hmm. without question both both you know started out as punk rock bands but eventually you know it, they're just rock and roll bands and they're literally i think any like you said I, I i just feel like anybody that starts a band in the midwest whatever kind of music it is eventually you hit that road that that wall where it's like replacement you have to go through the replacements and husker do wall to keep moving forward you know right i think it's just what it is it's the road you have to inevitably you have to take this road and you may not like that road but -hmm. you have to appreciate that road or the journey at least um i avoided this band in the in the way that I had seen them listed so many times in Rolling Stone, and and I guess this is the part where we'll talk about our experiences with this band. Sure. I avoided this band for a long time. I would say in my teens, um, like I I'd heard Bastards of Young, I'd heard we'll say I will follow or like the college radio hit stuff of them. Yeah. And I'd always been yeah I'd I'd always been like yeah that's that's legit. That's a good. I, I dig that song. I vibe with it. Um, mm. But it really synergized for me when I became more of a dad and more into like history. And I thought about Minneapolis, Minnesota as like where it was. And I mean, right out the bat, well, I'll list my sources Bob Mears, Trouble Boys. And there's specifically a ton of information to be found online no dogs in space did an amazing five-part series on the replacements i think Mm. there should be a movie on this band like hands down or like a limited series because the story is the story is great they did try to do a documentary Mm -hmm. well they did it's called i want to say it's called color me impressed i can't remember the name which is a great name (laughs) but yeah but it's 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 an all right documentary in the fact that you get the story of the replacements, but the only downfall with it mm-hmm. is that they didn't sign off on it. So there's ah. no replacements music in it, I don't think, and from what I remember. And there's no, there's none of the members talking in the movie. Uh. So it's, they tried it. None of them are like into the idea. And mostly Paul. Is, yeah. He, why does he, he doesn't want to do that. So, which makes sense. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Um, but like I said, I avoided these guys. And then when I became more of a history guy, I don't know what is going on in Minneapolis or sorry. Yeah. And it is in Minnesota in 1984, you had, you had let it be, you had 
Zen Arcade by Husker Du, and you had Purple Rain by Prince. Yeah, and I want to say another band that's, um, well, I think they're Milwaukee, but they're still really Midwest punk band. Decreutzen was around as well, and I think Decreutzen's first record came out around then, I want to say, 83, 84. Either way, there was like, Minneapolis, like you were saying, was very diverse. You had uh, Prince and then the so-called Purple Snow Movement, or well, what Numero would later call the Purple Snow Movement, which was... Um, a collection of artists kind of doing the punk or the funk thing like Prince. Um, you had Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis coming out of that scene, mm-hmm. would eventually go on to produce uh, Janet Jackson's solo record and Rhythm Nation. And I want to say her the follow-up after that. I love um, that album, by the way, Rhythm Nation. I'll yeah, still listen crazy. to it. I think it's Janet crazy. Jackson's criminally underrated as a Jackson, like, you know, obviously family member, but like maybe the yeah. best other than Michael as far as like... Oh. For sure. Output. For sure. I mean, uh, the, the, well, now we're getting in it. Don't get me started. Sorry, sorry. We'll get in the weeds with music history with John here. Um, but I was going to say, because you brought up Minneapolis, this is the uh, collection I was talking about that Numero made. I don't know if anybody can see this. It's called Purple Snow. Nice. And it's basically uh, the Minneapolis sound that is where Prince, what Prince came out of. And it's a pretty good collection of like bands that you know like numero is typically known for like putting out a collection that's filled with uh, uh groups or artists that only had one single you know maybe in a regional sound mm-hmm. and minneapolis definitely had a regional r&b soul funk sound for sure um, but then to our point where we're here they had uh, a pretty good bar a bar band scene but then when punk rock came along it kind of everybody decided to instead of play top 40 why not play your own songs? And yeah. that's where we got the replacements and the Husker Doos of the world. So, Of course. <laughs> and uh, what's the other one? Uh, commandos. <laughs> what were they called? The Suicide Suicide Commandos? Is yeah, that the name so, of the band? Yeah, that sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think they're called... I think it's Suicide Commandos. They're mm-hmm. from Minneapolis, too. And that was kind of like, uh, you know, Minneapolis had that record store. What is it? Or Joke? Or I can't... I know. I I just I just saw. I I mean I read the book. So or the yeah. audio. I listened to the audio version of the book, and it's like every time they said it, I was like, man, that is a mouthful. But it's like a Midwest mouthful, like or job or or folk records or something. That's it. Yeah, or folk, which is um, where Peter Jesperson worked, and kind of yep. where Paul brought very very Midwesternly, sheepishly brought in his demo tape from a tape he ganked from his sister. <laughs> Exactly. It said yeah. Santana so like, on it. <laughs> I I, uh, I read that book, the the Trouble Boys book. I want to say it has to be a couple years ago now. So yeah. I don't have twenty sixteen. It's, like it's not fresh on my mind. Um, but I remember what I remember from it. I mean, anyway. So we digress. We we're no. talking about Minneapolis, but um, no, we get we, we got to. This is what they want. I mean, you got to think. Well, There's going to be two different you, people. People who have never. Who are curious about the replacements and then replacements purists who are going to be looking for any nook and cranny of info we can just shoot out there that for they sure. don't know. Um, so you didn't get in them until later. Yeah, I want to say later. 20s-ish is when I really got into them. When In my 20s, I would order, like mass order CDs or download them on the internet whenever I'd yeah. get a paycheck in the service. And I got Tim... Let it be, and please to meet me all in one go. And right off the bat, I was in love. 
Like I, yeah. I remember putting in please to meet me and hearing Alex Chilton for the first time on my own and being mm-hmm. like, Oh, this slaps. And then <laughs> going from, going from that to like something like Skyway on the same album, which is one of the most beautiful songs I've ever heard. Like, mm-hmm. um, and, and immediately identifying with that sense of like, I'm a romantic and like just the longing of like a, some girl on a Skyway and you just like remarking on it. I mean, the best songs are usually stripped down to their to the most basic sense and that's fundamentally where paul westerberg comes in in the band he's one of the most genius songwriters ever and in some of the lyrics in some of the songs are so beautiful like that like it's almost uh, part of what is so incredible about the band in that you get lyrics like the it, and I'll pull it up so that I don't mess it up. But there's there's certain lyrics to certain songs that fit so timelessly well that yeah. it doesn't matter at what point you hear them. They just they they just speak true in in almost like a b- biblical sense. Um, uh, but yeah, but um, I agree with that. I mean, and, and speaking on his lyrics, like it's at one at certain points you'll get something that's super like you said, really beautiful and poignant. But mm-hmm. then on the other hand, you'll get like the dumbest shit you've ever heard. Gary's you know got I mean? a boner. Like, yeah. You're just like, <laughs> even, even in some of the serious songs, some of the lyrics, some of the lines are just so dumb. They're just like, he mm-hmm. wrote them to rhyme with something else and they're just dumb, but they work really well. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Well, so it doesn't, it, whatever it would, whatever makes it seem like it's kind of dumb. It's really not. It's almost like idiot savant esque type thing. Yeah, I yeah. Really believe, so no, and and it's it's what's beautiful about bands like the Replacements are when you see, so, and we'll, and we're we're gonna transition into the history of the band. I mean, we'll say that I'll I'll say this off the top. There's seven releases and an EP, like a mm-hmm. seven seven albums proper and an EP, but um, transitioning into that, um, I want to say that if you don't know the band, the Replacements, they're incredible, but. Uh, I would I would preface what we're about to go into by saying this: if you're a history person and you don't know the replacements, this band is rich with history and connections. Whether it's like we mentioned with Prince, I mean Paul bumps into Prince at one point at like Seventh Avenue or whatever the venue was. Yeah, and and there's a there's an interesting story there too. But um, the replacements in turn influence bands like the Pixies and the Pixies in turn create bands like Nirvana. The, yeah. the replacements are fundamentally at the core of what has been like the, the 20th into the 21st century of music. Sure. Um, I, and you know, I know you mentioned you got into them later. I got into them. I know I'll go back here real quick. Go ahead. So I can get this out of the way. Uh, totally. I was going to say, because I knew you were going to ask, like, when, you know, we each kind of got into it. Um, but, yeah, I, I bought, I got into the replacement probably about the age of 15. It's when, a good age uh, to get into I, them. Yeah, when I heard, uh, like, um, an interview with Green Day or something, and Billy Joe had, or no, they were on 120 minutes, like a special for 120 minutes in, like, 96, celebrating 10 years. And uh, Green Day was on it, and Billy Joe was talking about, yeah, we'd only watch it to sit around and wait for that cool replacements video with the cigarette and the speaker. 
It turns out it was the video for Bastards of Young. Oh, wow. So um, I come to, you know, a few months later, I drive or I go out to Media Play on Alpine. You remember Media Play? Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I, at this point, had a car. And I remember I really was like, I had a car and I was kind of hanging out with this girl that I met over the summer that lived out by Media Play. Anyway, I went into Media Play. Her friend was working there, and I remember buying Tim and driving to her house in my car, or to this girl's house in my car, and it was in the fall, so every time I hear the song Hold My Life, it just reminds me of fall in Michigan. It's literally, it solidifies, it's that, like, every time I hear it, I can picture, like, the exact street that I was on, the way the street lights hit the, the, the leaves, the browning leaves, you know? Um it's that like that kind of did it for me and then after that i went backwards and i got uh stink actually before let it be and anyway we'll go through the records now but yeah i've been into the replacements from like a very young young age and i love this band i do too <laughs> i and and don't and and, and just because i got into them a little later i would say don't it doesn't lessen it because they no no they no, no, no. I, for you that's a beautiful thing for it to tie specifically to memories is is fundamentally why i love music to begin with it it, yeah. That band hit right as I was falling in love too, so it like ties to specific memories of like real, like changes in my life as well. Whether it's like hearing "Swingin' Party" in a car, like driving home after your heart is just so full of joy, and and that experience, um, yeah. that song is like the elevator elevator music in my head constantly. Um, mm-hmm. So. I'm gonna I'm gonna go off the cuff a little bit with some of the history, and you sure. can chime in with whatever you want to. I love any any additions to to that sort of thing. But specifically, Paul, he was raised obviously in Minneapolis, or yeah, in in Minneapolis, in Minnesota, and his experience is so like Americana. Like his dad had a dream of being a professional golfer and even hit a hole in one at one point in his life, which I only know one person who did that, my uncle, and he's got a plaque in his house that says that shit. So cheers to him. (laughs) That's pretty badass. Yeah. It's not an easy thing to do. I mean, if you can do it in we golfing, it doesn't really count folks, but I'm saying (laughs) this is, this is some sick shit. So his dad was, um, I don't think, necessarily a bad guy but when we flip over to bobby and tommy things get real sad uh bob stinson is one of the best lead guitar players in my in my mind of maybe of all time and especially in a midwest like rock band sense like listening to sorry ma and uh stink and even some of the stuff that he did in that center era era of the replacements is still just like there's something about his addition his spice to the mix that is just perfect yeah it's he adds the um to like the uh structure he adds the chaos to the group which kind of is befitting of his uh his life growing up was pretty chaotic like been pretty pretty uh rough like his guitar playing is very rough and very um you know, just kind of noisy and 
kind of disgusting in a way, but awesome. It's but what I love the most about Bob is it almost sounds like <laughs> if it's like if if your lead guitar player is almost mocking you in the song. Mm-hmm. And in and, and a band full yeah. of guys who are literally always ribbing each other. And yeah. so to get the to get the idea here, uh, <laughs> Paul immediately picked up guitar pretty quickly and was like, This is my vibe. Like I am down with this. And if I if I had to to place two major influences on Paul Westerberg and his songwriting, especially early on. It's it's a weird combination, but it works. Rod Stewart and the Sex Pistols, specifically the, the the veracity of um, the Sex Pistols coming out of the gate. Never mind the bollocks. I mean, it's a huge release and it yeah. changed the world. But also seeing Rod Stewart and his band at the time, I think it, they're called the Hand. The faces. The faces, well, yeah. You, I was I was calling the hand in my head the for faces. some reason. And, and yeah, the guitar tone that's in the guitar playing that Steve Jones from the Sex Pistols did was pretty. Like he's he, I think all, him and Johnny Thunders from the New York Dolls were the two big influences, like yes. rock and roll influences influences on Paul Westerberg. But yeah, of course, like the faces, uh, Ronnie Wood who now plays with uh, the Rolling Stones, I think he was also a big influence on Paul Westberg. It's for the songwriting aspect of it and, like, the the hook and yes. the melody. Uh, and I think, you know, Johnny Thunders and Steve Jones were more the I-don't-give-a-fuck side of it all, you know? Yeah, and that, but that's so, the perfect mix. It's, yeah, and, it's like and the perfect combo. We talked about this actually, and I, this is—I'm—I'm I'm only saying this because I believe that words are repetitions that become actions. As long as you continue to say them, they'll become a reality. And when we—I'm saying this because we—I'm trying to remind myself and remind Matt that he needs to get to like posting and editing what we did last summer. But um, mm-hmm. we talked about the 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 way that we the humility of of our friends and when it comes to music that we make ourselves like. Like, I think we're that's a uh, a huge dose of what the replacements has as well. Like that's the same approach even that they have to their own music, where it's almost like, yeah, fuck that shit. Like I don't want to do the yeah. same take again. To to almost to almost a uh, comically uh, bad fault. Like <laughs> to to like to the point where like the replacements shot themselves they should have been such a bigger band than they are mm-hmm. but they shot themselves in the foot so much and i think it is because they have that midwest thing about them which is a curse that all of us most midwestern musicians especially in punk or you know alternative uh music scenes we're just too you don't want to you don't want to gloat you don't want to say that you're that oh my shit's great or this is great but we definitely know people that do, but I, I almost feel like when you say that, you're like, it feels too, um, it feels like, gross, uh, nar- narcissistic and yes. weird, which it shouldn't be because it's art and you should be proud of it. And you should be like, yeah, I did that. It's awesome. But totally. That's just not how, well, that's no. just not how we were built. <laughs> it isn't, but, but we also get gain a lot of, um, 
we gain a lot of the stability in our pursuits from our friends as well. You know, it's For almost sure. like taking the steam out of them ribbing us before they can even get to it helps us in processing what we did. But just like in Paul Westerberg's case where he would slip the tapes to Peter Jesperson as a way to say like, Hey, you know, ch- check this out. If it's, you know, if you got time after you're folding your shirts or, you know, listening to your LPs at home, maybe just slip it into the tape deck. I don't know. I, I mean, it sucks. Just throw it away. But yeah. like the, 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 um, validation that he would in turn get from Peter and even from like, say his sister who he's really close with, um, was a it it was it it was what that would push him forward and people like Paul are really inspirations to me too and like in in a similar vein to what things that I heard Chris Cornell say in his life where it was like whatever it is just keep keep making keep creating like don't stop you know if it sucks it sucks it's cool you laugh at it and one of the the ways that I've connected on that too is like I I tried singing for a brief period in my 20s and I remember distinctly the first time I had to play that for Rob Burt who was the drummer in my band at the time and Mm -hmm. I said at some point in the song um I sang the line, like, my spaceship is coming down. And, like, the look on Rob's face when he heard me say spaceship <laughs> to this day makes us laugh like kids. Like, literally, like, piss ourselves laughing. But it's that shit is great because it's like, you did it, you tried it, at least you fucking yeah. tried it. It's better than, like, sitting there going, like, I don't know, man, I got these this song about aliens I want to write. I'll never do it. You know, it's like, it's better to do than not. And yeah, and, it, and you know, not. I think to your point, like you're saying, not all the time. You know, not everything you do, or to, uh, yeah, not everything you do is going to be great. Exactly. Totally. But at least, at least you're trying. And I think you know, the one time when you do get the positive reactions, it makes you go, "Okay, I'm on to something. Why don't I just follow that path?" Totally. And see where it takes me. And <laughs> that's. That's a great thing. And I think we have that, you know, we have at least have that support in the scene that we play music in for sure. Totally. I mean, and you, you have your own Peter Jesperson. I'm sure like people that you, you will turn to, I have the same, like people I'll send like things and they'll give me like that, like point blank, like this sucks, this sucks dick, or this is like legit cool. Like you need to pursue this. Um, yeah, for sure. And and Bob was the same way with his brother Tommy, which we'll get into this now. I mean, Tommy was twelve when this band starts, <laughs> and I related to that immediately too because my brother was sixteen when he joined Lights at Sea, and it was the same thing where when I was young, he it, it, again like learning the history and reading the book. It was it was like the same story in some some ways where he'd seen me playing guitar and you know i didn't have to lure him with with coke and 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 reese's pieces or or snickers bars the same way bob did for tommy but it it was a very similar thing where uh bob was specifically influenced huge by the band yes classic yes is a huge influence for me i love prog rock and if you love prog rock that's totally cool progressive rock if you will it's a thing it's a thing that like for me is like 
most people will say it's adjacent to an almost an extrapolation of say psych rock from the 60s people wanted to have you know more technical things like king crimson uh it's, early it's genesis 100%. yeah it's 100 like uh an arm of the psychedelic rock movement from the 60s like had had lemmy stayed in hawkland who knows what Hawkwind would have sounded like? I don't know. I, I mean, I think Lemmy, you know, was making it, didn't want to do the progressive thing. And then if you look at when he left Hawkwind, they definitely went down that path for sure. Well, um, but the, the genres. I, I, I like Yes, too. I like Yes, too. I and mean, Chris Squartz. Uh, totally. I I'm. I, it's my fault that the the Zanzizi Instagram is always posting Genesis videos because what the fuck ever. Yeah. Um. But it's it is true. Like it. Um. And those genres really benefit each other. Uh. The offshoots that come, like say punk rock. Um. I Henry Rollins. I I remember reading distinctly him being like, yeah, I got really fucking tired of Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, and then it was like, let's mm-hmm. make some fucking punk rock music. You know, like. Like, let's strip it down. Yeah. Let's make it simple, stupid. You know, like let's make it make it genuine because there is some 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 immediate authenticity that you can get from things like punk music and in genres that came from the reaction of bands like Yes and and that thing. And Paul was of that ilk too. It was like, you know, like I'm not saying that he didn't like yes or anything, but he would hear it every time he would be doing his janitor job. And these are these guys are all like literally quit school or like fuck school. This shit's for the birds. I want to play music. And Paul literally would hear, you know, roundabout just blasting from this house or it was. (laughs) Bobby training Tommy how to play the bass and like, listen, motherfucker, I need a bass player and you need to get good. And and for all of that, which may have been seen as 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 an older brother, like hammering on his younger brother, he got fucking good. Like and you can really good. You can hear it. And we'll have a link to the the Spotify playlist. And John, I'll make you a collaborator so you can add some stuff to it, too. Um, Sure. We'll link the Spotify like uh, playlist of re- replacement songs. Um, but even from that first demo that they recorded, that Peter Jesperson heard from them, the uh, "Raised in the City" demo, which is on Sorry Ma, that you can like literally hear how kind of live and trashy it sounds. Oh yeah, the, the, it's, cool. it's, uh, it's so fucking good, and Tommy sounds <laughs> tight as fuck. I mean, look again, and I know. A lot of the story of, of a band you, you you'll relate to yourself, but I know we both growing up heard tons of demos from our friends. Immediately <laughs> immediately hearing this demo, even today, like re-listening to that Spotify playlist, I I get why Peter like lost his shit and was like, damn, this is good as fuck. Like these guys got it. Like Yeah, it's really good. It's really good and it's surprising when you hear it and you're like, I cannot believe like it seems, you know, they're doing the the punk thing, obviously, because it's right where they start. Mm-hmm. But they seem fully formed. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. well, th- that band that we all know and love now, that's really good, might have not been so great at their instruments yet, or like the songwriting might not be like where it was, say, on Tim. But it's there in a sense. Like that band is there, fully formed. It's pretty incredible. 
It it is, and it and it's it comes in like I want to say seventy eight, seventy nine ish is when this yep. this this happens. Paul's twenty. Like I said, he dropped out of school. He's um, he's working, and kind of like it's one of those things. Like a lot of friends that we had to who you work, 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 get enough money to buy a guitar. And then you're like, fuck this job. And then get another job. Cause you're like, shit, I need a Marshall amp or mm-hmm. I need, you know, like and maybe in your case, it's like, I need, you know, a, a, a better drum set or a better <laughs> bass rig. Um, yeah. but it's working because these guys are practicing every, like literally every day. And, mm-hmm. um, that work ethic is paying off. So, Peter Jesperson hears the tape and he's immediately playing it at the record store um, and like getting hyped because like on top of this Minnesota or Milwaukee or Minneapolis is like we're we we need our own version of like Apple like but here in the Midwest like a Beatles esque Midwest version like okay. like yeah, like yeah. their own setup which is again mirror for me would say be kind of like. Not in the same instance, but like in our version of like Grand Rapids and like the pyramid schemes and like um, the not the, not the not Amway, but the 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 uh, venue. The, uh, the uh, Van Andel, the Boston, <laughs> the Van Andel Arena. Hey, thanks. Is that what you think? Yeah, and their incredible faith-based uh, record label. Um, yeah, <laughs> fuck that shit. But I get, um, what you're saying. I get what you're saying. The bar, the Pyramid Scheme bar, and like Jeff Vandenberg and him starting Friction. Yes. Uh, when there wasn't really a label, there was no. Was, from what I remember, like back then in like the early 2000s, Don Knotts was the first thing he did, mm-hmm. and at the time there really wasn't like a, a a label really representing this i guess quote unquote scene had been like kids startup labels like jan from uh with arms lumpy had kill you for a dollar and jan or no i'm sorry then arik from uh bounty hunters had give give me records or something which put out jfk and a couple other things but none of them really took hold you know what i mean mm-hmm. so yeah i get what you're saying like friction was you know twin tone and many other labels in the early 80s, uh, independent labels like Alternative Tentacles, Discord, SST, uh, Touch and Go. You can throw Twin Tone in there, Tang in Boston. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of those labels, um, you know, and Frontier Records, Slash Records, all those labels were re- very representative of their scenes, you know. And that's yeah. what Twin Tone was. Twin Tone was that label in Minneapolis that. I think was were the replacements the first thing that was released, or was the label already around? No, it was a Suicide Commandos. I think was the first thing. Yeah, or one of the first. Yeah, okay. yeah. The, so, um, I'm, I was just trying to look at the Twin Tone. Okay, so the band soon recorded a four-song demo tape in Mars's basement, which I, I didn't. We haven't even mentioned Chris Mars, and I feel oh, bad yeah. because Chris Chris, Chris yeah. is fucking. Um, amazing drum play, drummer like solid so solid, solid. he's hitting hard as shit and if you're a replacements fan and you haven't already like maybe you're in your infancy i implore you to watch all of the live performances you can find on youtube or online anywhere they're they're phenomenal they're so tight like especially that era of like the early like 81 82 ish because oh, yeah they're just so tight. Like you can tell they're playing all the time. 
Um, so, okay, so according to the Wikipedia, uh, the band recorded this four-song demo tape in Mars' basement, Chris Mars, amazing, and handed it to Peter Jesperson in May 1980. Jesperson was the manager of Oak Fojokopus <laughs> or Fojokopus. A punk rock or or records, yeah, that, that'll be easier. Or, or I, I heard a lot of people say or folk, um, or folk, yeah, that too. Uh, and he, uh, so he, it was a punk rock record store in Minneapolis. Uh, it is since not. Uh, I think it it it, it evolved. Anyways, uh, also founded Twin Tone Records with Paul Stark. Paul Stark, uh, I heard many times mentioned as like the Spock of the group. Mm. Um, Interestingly. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But you need that because Peter Jesperson is like the, the, the element of like hype and, and excitement. And you need somebody to be more of a realist. Um, He was also, Paul Stark was a local recording engineer. And also there was Charlie Halliman. Westerberg originally handed in the tape to see if the band could perform at Jay's Longhorn Bar, a local venue where Jesperson worked as a disc jockey. The band's first performance at a bar was at the Longhorn on July 2nd, 1980. He eavesdropped as Jesperson put in the tape, only to run away as soon as the first song, Raised in the City, played. Again, this is so Midwest. Um, Jesperson played the song again and again and again. If I Quote, if I... If I've ever had a magic moment in my life, it was popping that tape in, said Jesperson. I didn't even get through the first song before I thought my head was going to explode. (laughs) I actually was just, while you were reading that, I was Mm -hmm. trying to look up where Orfolk was. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'd been not to Orfolk itself, but uh, it it closed in 2001, and then it became this place called Treehouse Records. Oh, right and Treehouse is not Treehouse is now closed. Treehouse closed in 2017. Um, but uh, yeah, I was at that. I was at that actual site. Really? So I've been in that place. Yeah. Oh wow. But I didn't. I didn't know it at the time. Uh, yeah, I've been in that actual place. Side but, tangent, because you're my music history guy, so we have to take these avenues while we can. We'll try not to tangent too much. Sure. If yeah. there was, if there, if you had to make. Uh, just off the top of your head, a few places in music history you wish you could go see, where would they be? Holy shit. I've tried to... Well, I wish... I really wish I could go to uh, Manchester and check out where the Hacienda used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know when I'm going to get over there again now that I'm having a kid. I mean, that's going to take a little bit of time. It will, um, but don't... don't, don't, uh, don't I, wanted to, I want to give you this little bit of advice since you're new dad and I'm kind of older dad, um, all those things are just going to be even more important. So don't, don't, th- don't worry. Cause you'll get the time. I promise you. Yeah. I, I mean, we were North Lincoln toured over in the UK twice mm-hmm. and we played Manchester both times. And every time I was there, I was never, I was only in Manchester long enough to see like the venue and like the neighborhood around the venue. And maybe where we stayed that night. Cause I remember asking, like I wanted to go to, uh, the Salford Lads Club, which is just outside of Manchester as well. So I'd say the Hacienda, Salford Lads Club. Um, and I wasn't close to either of them, didn't have time, so I'll have to do it again at some other point. Uh, we actually were just in um, the Joshua Tree. Oh, uh, yeah, I saw the picture. I loved oh, it. Sorry, my, my dogs are going crazy. That's okay. Um, it's all good. But um, 
uh, we were actually in Joshua Tree this past weekend, and I got to go see the uh, Welcome to Sky Valley sign, which is the Kai's thing. Yeah, dude. So that that, that I can check off. That I can check off my list. Um, <clears throat> I'd like to go to Electrical Audio. I'm jealous of some of my friends who've gotten to record there. Uh, I really want to go there. I got some um, some good footage while I was there. I um, <clears throat> did did definitely scoured some of the the cds and lps and talked to quite a few of the employees and it it's 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 cool man i if if if, uh if you get a chance to go through chicago again i would highly recommend like you know just stopping in just stop in just say hey steve stop fucking grumbling about later replacement shit stop fucking yeah (laughs) stop fucking pouting so I guess the Hacienda, Salford Labs Club, Electrical Audio, the Discord House. Yeah. Uh, I want to go there um, and just kind of poke around, say hi, maybe get a little tour of that. That'd be a uh, life to life goal. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'm actually, uh, I'm actually, I'll put, I'll say six because I'm actually going to do the next one shortly. I'm going to go up to Aberdeen. I've lived in the Pacific Northwest now for almost 10 years. And I still have yet to drive up to Aberdeen, Washington, which is home of Kurt Cobain and the Melvins and all that fun stuff. Uh, but mostly it's filled with Kurt stuff. <clears throat> so I'm going to go up there. That'll get checked off. Uh, where else would I say that I want to go? I've kind of I've been to I've been to the Roxy. I've been to the Rainbow. Been to Gilman. And you've been um, to New York City as well. Yeah, I've been to New York City. It was in CBGB once. Um, God. There's 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 one more, um, but I, I can't really think of it right now. I'll think of it like while we're talking. That's fine. You uh, just interject, brother. <laughs> I think yeah, I think that like, that'll be best. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. No, I'm glad. I yeah, I, 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 I was curious about that. Um, but but so the, uh, initially, um, in this in this time, Jesperson called Westerberg the next next day asking, "So, do you want to do a single or an album?" And I think he was so guffawed by that, like, "What? Like, I thought we were just trying to audition to play a show." Um, with the agreement of Stark and the rest of the band, the replacement signed with Twin Tone Records in 1980. And we, you kind of mentioned a little bit about Twin Tone earlier. This was an independent record label based in Minneapolis, which operated from 77 until 1994. It was the original home of influential Minnesota bands, The Replacements, and Soul Asylum, and was instrumental in helping the Twin Cities music scene achieve national attention in the 1980s, along with other independent American labels such as SST Records, Touch and Go Records, and Discord. Twin Tone helped to spearhead the nationwide network of underground bands that formed the pre-Nirvana indie rock scene. Um, so I'm trying to basically see basically all the bands that all the bands that no, that are not popular to the mass culture, mm-hmm. but influenced every single band that's popular to the mass culture. Yeah, those labels are responsible for are responsible for putting out all of that music. Yeah, I, I, I would go I will have to say like, sure, like the Beatles, obviously big cultural turning point moment and Nirvana. Mm-hmm. Um, Nirvana exploding in 91, a big cultural shift for music, obviously. But also, I would say the rise and the um, the birth of the independent record label in the early 80s is also one of the most culturally significant things that's ever happened to music, ever. 
I agree. And and in my estimation, the I should say I should say the birth of independent labels because there's always been independent labels, but birth of independent punk rock um, record labels. That is what I'm going to say. Yeah. No, I and I'm with you, dude. I'm totally with you. Yeah. I will say these things, even as as um, we talk about in reference the Beatles, and um, and and even now with the replacements in the in the '80s. Uh, these things are still only in their infancy. I mean, oh, yeah. as an art form, and it's it's always so fascinating to wonder what the next movement is going to be. But this specifically, truly, and you nailed it. Like it, this is so so important to to legions and and, and untold amounts of bands going forward into the future. Oh, yeah. Um when the band's first album Sorry Ma Forgot to Take Out the Trash was released in August of 1981 it received positive reviews in local fanzines. Now, what is your take on this first release? I know they they I had love it. I do too. I think it's great. I think it's, it's great. great too. I I It's like cuz you get you get, you know, they're they're doing the punk rock thing cuz that's what was happening. That's what was that was the end and it was energetic and it's fucking frantic which is perfect for like tommy who's still 12 years old 13 years old or whatever yeah, how old he was 13 i 13 ish yeah okay which is yeah. still and a baby so this, he's a babby oh yeah and he's like running around jump freaking out and, but you get that side but then you also get to see a little bit of what's kind of down the road with like johnny's gonna die like yeah they're kind of that kind of like <clears throat> i think paul you know I think he even said it may have said it in the book. I don't know. I've had, I've read this somewhere. Maybe it's, I'm making it up or saying something I think, but I think I heard this from Paul, but I think, you know, he did like, he wasn't really into the punk thing. He liked the punk thing, but he always was wanted to write pop hits. Yes. He always wanted to be a pop songwriter because he grew up, he loved bubblegum pop music. He loved that shit. Um, but yeah, punk just gave him that vehicle. So like him doing Johnny's Gonna Die Tonight, which by the way is about guitarist Johnny Thunders. Yes. Um, <clears throat> I think that kind of gave him the ability to be like, oh, I can write this song that's slower and more like m- melodic and a little darker. But it, since it's about Johnny Thunders, it'll it'll pass. You know, it'll pass. It'll pass the snuff because it, he's punk, right? So that fits. It's like yeah. a punk. It's like a pump. A punk. Uh, 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 you know, what is that song? Uh, the, the hair metal bands did them all the time. Uh, ballad. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think you know part of the charm of the band really shows on this album too, because not only do they are they able to kind of hang with the hardcore punks, but they're able to make fun of them too, because Twin Tone had that notoriety in coming up in the music's with the music not only the 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 record stores will say employees but like the local musicians and Husker Du and Bob Mould you know specifically at the time are like well fuck you know we need to get on Twin Tone but they were they weren't picked up by Twin Tone and even on this album they had the reference to Husker Du with something to do and mm-hmm. It's that kind of minor jab to their peers that is cute, but also you don't get 
the re- reaction with Bob Mould kind of doing the DIY thing and starting up his own label if it's not for this this transitional period for all the bands you know it, it it's mm-hmm. it's kind of fascinating in in that way because uh, and and look if you're a fan of of these bands like that's awesome really to know that these guys were peers and also like the the way they handled kind of the camaraderie and also envy they were yeah they were friendly but they were competitive too at the same time true which (laughs) is which is healthy which is healthy Mm -hmm. man it's just like any like in a way like almost like a sports different sports teams but of the same you know sport um yeah, but yeah, for sure. And, and it, I feel like, um, you know, it, 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 I think about this a lot, and I'm, I'm kind of glad that uh, Jesperson told Husker Do now, mm-hmm. but yes, the replacements. I think it makes more sense. To me, the replacements, and this is no jab at Husker Do, because I also think that they're like one of my favorite bands, too. True. But when I, when I think of and I don't know, maybe if it's like label association or what, but but I think it's mostly sound. Husker Du to me does not sound. They sound, I guess, Minneapolis. If Minneapolis had a sound, but I feel like replacements just embodies kind of like what Minneapolis feels like and what Midwest feels like more than Husker Du. Like Husker Du is always, since they've been associated with SST, it was just based in California, and they're associated with that hardcore thing and playing really fast and really fucking loud. They. They still feel Midwestern, but not as much as the replacements, if that makes sense. I Yes. And and I, it, I think the bands like the Sex Pistols and the Ramones had a, obviously a very prophetic effect on bands like Husker Du and, and the replacements. And, and that mm-hmm. it, you know, I remember one of the parts of the book, them mentioning how, like, I think it was Jesperson or somebody was mentioning to Bob Mould, like, do you guys... I mean, could do you have to play so fast? And and, and Bob Mould's like, uh, this is the slowest we play, man. Like, <laughs> yeah, I know. It's just like I I I feel like he made the right choice. The replacements feel more like a twin tone label if you look at the label itself. Whereas Husker Du starting New Alliance, which eventually became part of SST, and Husker Du putting records out on SST, that makes way more sense to me. Yeah, that makes way more sense. Like I can't, I can't picture picking up my copy of Zen Arcade and turning it over and having it say Twin Tone. It just wouldn't fit. No, it wouldn't. So everything worked out great. I it think. did, but it did. But it, it, you know that little that little thing did kind of create this like friendly rivalry between the two bands. Yeah, and it, but it, it also helps because it doesn't. As a fan of of the bands and 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 for music fans specifically it was kind of nice because it's like you know it's like if, if if say you have a bunch of twin tone bands playing a bill does that does that feel gross because it's like yeah well we're just like you know all about this one label like having some yeah. variety in a show bill is always warranted and welcome you know like i I, I don't know about you, but like when I go to a festival, I don't want to just see the same ten the same band ten times. I want to see a variety. You know what I mean? Absolutely not. Yes. Yeah. And and so with with the replacements <clears throat> specifically at this time, they put out "Sorry Ma, Forgot to Take Out the Trash," and it, it is critically like 
it is well received. Uh, and, and we mentioned Albini. Albini loved this record as as well. Um, and rightfully so. It's it's a great record. It's a great starting point, you know. As a as a as a diehard like Radiohead fan as well. Like I remember the first time hearing Pablo Honey and thinking like, uh, this is this is great," you know. Like it, especially in the '90s and thinking like, "Yeah, the Benz was also like an incredible step up." But at the time, like. It, it it is of that ilk at least for me where it's like that first record that like you get you get hints at what's to come but not a fully fleshed thing quite yet but everything is starting firing on yeah. all cylinders what do you think of like now that we that you've lived to see where radiohead has become or gone and now they have the <sighs> smile and all that stuff i love this think of, i love what do you think of I go ahead. Well, I'm okay. So, what do I think well, of? I was where... going to say, Pablo Honey. What do you think of Pablo of Honey now? Like, I looking think, back out, like at it now. I think that it's an interesting snapshot of the band at the time. Um, yeah. Pablo Honey. You probably put it. You probably put it at the, the bottom. Very the bottom. Rest, right? Very bottom. Exactly. Same thing you do with replacements. This sorry, mom forgot to take up the dress. It's not their. No, actually, I wouldn't put this at the bottom. I take that back. Strike that. Because <laughs> strike that, <laughs> we put Pablo Henny down at the bottom for Radiohead for sure. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe King of Limbs would beat it. It's possible. King of Limbs is pretty bad. They're K- probably interchangeable. <laughs> King King of Limbs is better live than on recording. I have more yeah. fondness for those songs live than I do on recording. Whereas with this band, I have more fondness for this album live as well but i also think that the songs the attack of the songs especially because of the the way they were recorded live i think it Mm -hmm. it captures the essence of the band better than say something like pablo honey did even though the songs sound really good there's 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 an attack with this band and in jesperson and stark got it like spock and and the music nerd like totally had the right idea they're like Get these guys a little fucking sauced before they perform, but not too sauced because yeah. we don't need a shit show, which is to come. Like we're we're gonna get into some of these live <laughs> antics, but oh, yeah. like the capture the magic magic of that of it because realistically, the beauty of music as a whole and rock music specifically comes from some of the nuance of the 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 chaos and the mess ups you need to cap- capture those things because it's it's that that is going to is going to portray even more the authenticity some of the the mocking tone of bob's guitars and some of the sneer of paul Westerver- westerberg's vocals you he needs to be in that mindset for those songs to work as good as they do for and sure. they do for sure um Sure. Dude, we're 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 gonna get into it so hard one day when we do a Radiohead episode. I can already feel it. <laughs> um, but okay, so Sorry Ma comes out. It's it's well received. The um, 
It's a fun record. The sure. album. I don't listen to it as much. I don't either, yeah, but I go back, especially now having access to all of these things. Um, I'm in trouble was the band's first signal. Westerberg's first truly good song, according to <laughs> him. Uh, Sorry, Ma included the song "Something to Do," uh, an homage to another Minneapolis punk band, Husker Du. The replacements had a friendly rivalry with the band, which started when Twin Tone chose the chose replacements, and Husker Du landed an opening slot at a Twin Tone uh, opening slot at a Johnny Thunders gig that the replacements had wanted. Uh, so there's, yeah, there's like, you know, the Husker Du gets that gig, the replacements don't. So there you go. There, That's where it all starts. Pretty much. But it worked out. It worked out gloriously for everyone, them and music fans combined. Totally. 100%. Totally. But if you look at it, it's the funny thing. If you look at it, <clears throat> mm-hmm. both bands kind of had the same trajectory, uh, except Husker Du petered out a little too soon. Or you could argue to say that. The replacements did as well, and it slowly just became Paul Westerberg's solo project. Well, so, there, I mean? and we're, we're going to get into that when we get to the latter yeah, yeah. releases. But um, and 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 this and this is this is uh, props to you and props to everybody else who's who's done this. Alcohol is a hell of a drug, man, and it's it's <laughs> it's going to take its motherfucking toll on this band hard in their twenties. And specifically oh, yeah. for poor Tommy Stinson, who, I mean, people have remarked in, in documentaries, but this guy is like rock and roll personified as a human being. And he, I mean, w- without getting into like his, his after and, and his struggles with Bob, who, you know, was as in the book said to be a Jekyll and Hyde, you know, when he was blackout drunk or, you know, he was the sweetest person in the world. And then when he was intoxicated, he was, you know, putting fucking Vaseline or vapor rub in people's eyes or doing some crazy bullshit. And um, we've all been there, man. And we've all had our had our own struggles. I'm I, I get it. And uh, for me, it can be a, a depre- too much of a depressant. And I'm glad it's not in my life anymore. But like in for them, it was. You know, for Westerberg, the, the the first time the first time he drank, it felt like his anxiety went away, and I I get that. I'm someone. I hundred percent agree with that. I got it. I get exactly where he's coming from with that. Yeah, and 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 for 100%. guys for guys who you know, small talk can be death, but like yeah. literally humor is medicine for anyone anywhere ever and like laughing at shit is just the way these guys connected whether it was in their song titles in their live performances in their bond as brothers because a band is 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 a, a brother or it's a family a sisterhood whatever you want to like call it a marriage it is i'd say it's a marriage totally a marriage and it's one of the most like whether you're on a sports team or in a band, it's one of the best ways for you to bond with your fellow human. In my mm-hmm. in my experience, like we're about to put out a release too, and like my band, and like it, we couldn't be tighter. You know what I mean? And you've you've put out things. You're in like what three bands right now? I don't want to two two. Okay, we'll have to mention that before we end because I wanted you to get sure get your props out there for that. Um, okay, so. I want to also paint the picture in the 80s and 80, 80, 1980 and 81 Paul wrote like a motherfucker like he wrote like 50 songs and 
18 of them end up on Sarima. And if I had to say there was one issue with Sarima, it's probably that they could have trimmed a little of the fat. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's too, it's too many songs on, on that record for sure. And they're not all, they're not all winners. <laughs> right. They're good. But yeah. it's it's that same thing I said earlier where Paul's just writing, 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 and yeah. maybe Peter was a little too hyped and wanted to beat out another band called Wire when yeah. it came to tracks. <laughs> um, but anyway, sometime in late 81, the replacements played a song called Kids Don't Follow. Jesperson was convinced, like, fuck, we got to put this out. And pleaded with Twin Tone co-owners Peter Stark and Holman, I will do anything, or Paul Stark, I will do anything to get this out. I will hand stamp jackets if I have to. The partners agreed to fund the recording, but Jesperson and virtually everyone he knew had to hand stamp 10,000 white record jackets. Now, anybody in bands who knows what that process is like, their fucking arm already hurts hearing that. Um, yeah, I, uh, I I think that that song, Kids Don't Follow, is one of their best songs ever of all time. It's well, fucking it, amazing. And I used to have an original press of that record. Holy shit! And I sold it. I sold it long time ago. Um, But I used to have it. I'm bummed that I don't have it anymore. And now it's one of those things that, like, you know, I found. I want to say I found it on tour or something. I can't remember. It was a long time ago. Wow. Um, Stinky. Yeah, I found it on tour, and it was before Discogs or anything like that. So it was priced pretty reasonably at the time. I think it was like. I want to say it was like 50 bucks or 80 bucks, um, wow. something like that. Um, that's, that's which awesome. was a lot for that then. Um, but now I think, I think you can't find an original. I think the originals are pretty expensive now. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I digress. I love this EP. I think it's fantastic. It's, it's where you start to get stuff that's eventually going to make us, you know, I don't know. It, the Go is such a great song. That's uh, Dope Smoking Moron is the fucking shit. That's like one of my favorite hardcore songs. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about the EP. Um, so it was the replacement stink. Kids don't follow. Plus seven. You got fuck school, which I mean, they all fucking said that. Great. <laughs> fucking amazing. <laughs> um, but but and I hinted at it earlier. If anybody. If anybody was listening to Go and saying it's time to start a band, it was a it was a <laughs> it was the Pixies. I mean, Go is one of my favorite replacement songs, but every time I listen to it, I hear Surfer Rosa. Um, yeah, it sounds it sounds like you know the Pixies were obviously really into uh, Husker Du, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm assuming the replacements. I'm assuming the replacements were one of them. Oh yeah, and definitely, definitely, you can hear uh, a little bit of go in what the Pixies would eventually end up doing with that whole quiet, loud uh, thing. <clears throat> but the Pixies would take that quiet, loud thing to a whole nother level, which would inspire another band to take it to another. You know what I mean? Totally, um, totally. But yeah, you can definitely hear it in Go. That yeah. song is great <laughs> it is great and and it's part of that is in paul's delivery and his singing mm-hmm. um that that performance and 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 even in subsequent like kids don't follow uh, the that which also starts with a minneapolis police breaking up a 
<laughs> breaking up a show, which like it. This is a band that I just love the little background noises you hear in the recordings, like whether it's the the recording engineer like, okay, go or whatever, or yeah. like, yeah. Uh, or in the in the next release, which we're about to get into, Hoot Nanny, when you can hear, <laughs> which I I love the first song, Hoot Nanny, just because the story oh, behind I hate it. it so much. <laughs> I hate it so much. I hate it. I get it. I get it. I mean, I get the story behind it and it's funny, but good Lord, I hate that song. I, I, I completely understand. And you know what? A room full of punks hated it too. Um, but (laughs) But I was going to say on, I don't know if you're going to say this. I might, you might be on your way to saying this. No, go ahead. Beginning of kids don't follow. You know, the guy comes in, this is the Minneapolis police. Mm -hmm. Time to go. You hear a guy in the background gay yell, "Hey, fuck you, man!" <laughs> Do you know who that is? Do you know who that is? It, it's I, David Perner of Soul Asylum, the lead yeah. singer of Soul Asylum. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, I'm so glad you mentioned that because I, I, I might have forgotten to to mention that. That that's definitely like that's that's so fucking awesome. Um, yeah, because Soul Asylum was. Uh, I want to say it was Bob Mould was working with Soul Asylum early on. Mm-hmm. I think that's right. Um, and, and obviously they, kinda, they go on they kinda to sounded like yeah they kind of sounded like the replacements the, the solo sign did you know totally and so did a little band out of buffalo called the goo goo dolls when the goo goo dolls started they sounded like they wanted to be the mix of the replacements and the descendants and eventually became more replacement sounding yeah um which you know i don't know sidebar goo goo dolls superstar car wash uh, a boy named Goo, and a few songs off of uh, "Dizzy Up the Girl," and I'll even throw in the one before "Superstar Car Wash," which I can't remember the name of. Those those records are all great. They're Dude, all, I'm with they're you. All they literally are all just replacements. They're just the Goo Goo Dolls were repla- replacements Junior. That's mm. what they were known as. Literally known as that, like in the underground people. Like, oh, replacements Junior. <laughs> anyway, that's the sidebar. I love Soul Asylum, and I love. The Goo Goo Dolls for that reason alone is that they're both so influenced by the replacements to the point that they wanted to be the that band. Totally, and and I yeah. I loved a boy named Goo. I had that that was one yeah. of those Columbia purchases or you know get ten CDs for a nickel eras that I oh yeah. I totally like ate that album up, and I remember distinctly being mocked by like hardcore fans for for like like having that in my my uh cd wallet if you will it's uh, such a good record i don't care what anybody says anybody that's like some punk dude elitist fuck some, some steve yeah. albini head um i just there's such great songs anyway <laughs> and i love steve albini don't get me wrong there's yeah. fucking amazing music from that man and and his contribution <clears throat> is fucking priceless He's, but He's wrong sometimes. It's okay oh, to admit it. And it's, the, it's, thing, the thing is, is like if, you, if people think that they can't admit, tell Steve Albini he's wrong to his face, you're stupid. You probably could because he's going to do the same thing to you, and he'll respect you more for standing up for what you believe in, just like he does. Just, just, just it, words of he's wisdom. Wrong there. Words of wisdom <laughs> from there. He, words of wisdom from music, Dad, folks. <laughs> um, so, with a batch of new songs, the replacements entered a warhouse, our warhouse warehouse in right. Roseville, Minnesota, <laughs> to record their next album with Twin Tone co-owner Stark Engineering. 
Westerberg wrote songs in stops and starts, so it took several sessions of recording to finish the album. Stark's meticulous approach to recording contrasted with that of replacements, often frustrating the band. In one session, Mars and Westerberg switched instruments and they began to improvise, with Westerberg repeatedly shouting, It's a hootenanny. The band then God, de- I hate that song. <laughs> the, the band then declared it to be side one, track one of the new album. According to Stark, the recording was a complete joke from their point of view. They did not care what they delivered. Hoot Nanny, the band's second <laughs> studio album, was released in April 1983. Hoot Nanny saw Westerberg expand his songwriting capabilities in songs such as Willpower. This is one of my favorites of this album with echoed vocals and a sparse arrangement and within your Re- reach which features westerberg yeah, I love that song yeah i love that song uh which features westerberg on all instruments he revealed a more sensitive side it was a more mature album than stink and sorry ma forgot to take out the trash hoot nanny was played on over 200 radio stations across the country with critics acclaiming the album Robert uh, Chista, writing in the Village Voice, deemed it the most critically independent album of 1983. Yeah, dude, Treatment Bound is such a killer jam. So is Color Me Impressed. Yep, Color um, Me Impressed is like a staple for them, too. I like Love Lines, too. Love Lines is great. Yeah. Uh, Within Your Reach, we just mentioned. But yeah, the, the funny thing about this record mm-hmm. is I really honestly think that <laughs> this and... Um, Sarmar, the two I, le- I listened to the well, and all shook down. I listened to the least mm-hmm. those three, and I don't know why. I think the reason why I don't listen to Hoot Nanny a lot is because I fucking hate the front cover of it so much, <laughs> and I also hate the first song. It looks like it looks it's like hairspray. Worst, it looks like John Waters, like like a like a, yeah. a a movie poster. Like it, it really throws me off. Or like a Pee Wee's Big Adventure, like. Yeah, TV screen or something like it. It's it, very, it's very, um, it's very um, quiche. Um, it's very fifties. Very uh, bubblegum, bubblegum. Um, you know, variety show looking right. from fifties. I know uh, where. Sorry, Ma. Terrible. Sorry, Ma has this like. It, it almost looks like your your typical seventy <laughs> late seventies early eighties like punk rock, punk rock record. cover, which I can get. Which I, I guess. Similarly, I can stomach that more than something like Hootenanny, where it just looks like, oh, come on. Um, But the music is still great. Like, I don't don't think either of us are saying that we don't like this album. Like, I will say, hands down, there are no albums by this band I despise at all, or, or that I say, it's good, it's passable. Like, there are, like, as a Replacements fan, I feel like there are good things to be found on every single one of their releases. Um, Hootenanny, sure. Hootenanny uh, obviously is, is uh, it, it continues their, their processing of what they're going to become. Bob is, at the time, I, he's still very much in the throes of his addiction. Uh, Tommy essentially has to kind of cope with the fact that, like, his brother's kind of a shit show. Uh, Paul really becomes in some ways kind of like the, the older brother he needs and that like, he's showing so much drive and writing the music. He's Mm -hmm. Peter Jesperson 
essentially because they're touring and he's still a teenage boy has to become has to be signed over as guardian while they're touring yeah yeah. Um, I think this is obviously like you were saying, you're, you're going, you, I think you're going to this or you just said it, mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah, this is definitely the record where the, uh, the rift between the rest of the band and Bob starts. Yes. This is where it starts. And it starts specifically with the song within your reach. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Bob hated that fucking song. He yeah. hates, he, I think he hates a majority of Paul's slower songs. Like, I don't think he was even a really big fan of Go. I don't think he wanted to do that. Maybe he did. I don't know. Um, I don't think, I think it was like that one still was kind of rock and roll. But once we got to Within Your Reach, that this is where the beginning of that rift starts. For yes. Sure. And and <clears throat> I'm glad you, you mentioned that because, I mean, it, it's, it's tricky because, you know, Bob is a complicated figure, mostly because like, it's it's strange to me but i get it with somebody in in the throes of an addiction but like being such a classic yes fan and having his brother play bass in 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 the caliber of say a punk rock chris squire on bass in his Mm -hmm. band is it with songs like go i i would have just been proud to have things expanding rather than just being a one note band in a punk rock you know forum or hardcore forum at the time in the midwest but it takes this unexpectedly divided turn with what is to come next and probably the first i will say of their 10 10 out of 10 a plus cat uh catalog which is with let it be um when Just an incredible, incredible record. <laughs> I, 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 look, if you're looking for more things to be said about a, a, a classic album, I guess from my perspective, this is their, this is in some ways where college radio is born and where mm. it, I'd say REM is more of that. You're right. Like, you're right. REM kind of REM. Well, no, like college radio was playing everything. So like Black Flag was getting played on college radio, like all that shit. But yeah, REM or college rock, quote unquote, college rock. Yes. That's kind of like the REM B-52s, a lot of that Athens scene. But then also you can put in the replacements in there because this, you know, the replacements before Hootenanny and Let It Be, like I think Within Your Reach got a lot of college college radio play like a lot of cut and it was on the fucking um it was on the same anything soundtrack but that was a few years later it was on the soundtrack in 89 but it was a very played song on college radio within your reach was which eventually when let it be came out i mean that thing is just full of college radio hits true i will dare favorite thing unsatisfied 16 blue androgynous Mm -hmm. i mean the whole record is like front to back bangers. even even yeah even even the two stupid songs gary's got a boner and tommy gets his tonsils out even those two stupid songs are still kind of cool yeah and their cover of kisses black diamond is the shit yeah i mean and then it ends with ants i know we haven't you're just, you, we haven't even started talking about the record yet and i'm already going into it no but, i love it dude um, this is what it, this is what the episode is all about but like answering machine ending with that song is just like 
fucking incredible. Like that song is like when you when you when you when you uh, when you figure out what it's about. <laughs> excuse me. When you figure out what it's about, you know it's about Paul who is dating this girl long distance who I believe is in Michigan. Ann Arbor. Mistaken. Ann Arbor. She was a journalist. Um, she had a she had either that or like journalistic. Uh, aspirations of some sort i think she yeah, yeah. he was like a me and, and l- l- let's not beat around the bush paul westerberg is a fucking stud of of epic proportions at the time i mean you can write songs like answering machine you're 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 basically zach efron at that point and he's he's getting a lot of attention from the female persuasion and that's part of what i think specifically was the difference between say the replacements and husker do like husker's about the music whereas the replacements are like where's the fucking girls brother like or the party yeah but like that song answering machine is so great because you know it's about him trying to call that lady mm-hmm. and getting her answering machine all the time because they're living this long distance relationship and when you're like you know, a kid, and this is before cell phones. And when I was a teenager, and you know, you really like someone, and you're like calling them, and you're getting the answer machine, and like, you don't want to leave them. I mean, it's such a good song about like longing and want, and wanting to talk to someone, and like connection and totally. love, and all that stupid shit you that we mock, but also adore at the same in the same yeah, breath. It's like it's, it's it's stuff that you want when you're a kid. It's this fantastic song. Totally, and it, and it speaks to also the simplicity of writing about what you know, and how that immediately breeds authenticity and connection to the listeners. You know, the and people. It's great. It was such a great way to end a record, too. Yeah. Totally, <laughs> and it also speaks to uh, Westerberg writing so much and giving it to Jesperson and being like, "Dude, I I got this song," and he's like, "Hey, man, we'll we'll go in there before everyone else is, and it'll be just me and you, and I'll tap record, and you just do your thing, all right, man? We'll we'll yeah. make a, we'll make a couple of those, and that's going to keep going. But let it be is." phenomenal it, it also features peter buck from rem i was just about Lynn, i was just on, uh i will follow favorite thing <laughs> i will follow dan no you're good uh so the new material placed more of a focus on songwriting and the music was influenced by heavy metal arena rock and chicago blues instruments such as piano 12 string guitar and mandolin were featured throughout the album the new album includes songs such as i will dare which featured buck uh peter buck playing lead guitar from rem and we should mention REM was like such a great like it's it was a benefit especially for the replacements because it gave him something to shoot for because obviously they were like they were just like I don't want to say anything bad about REM because I love them but like the, at the time it, it was kind of like such an interesting juxtaposition to the replacements kind of booze filled like fuck it all let's for do sure. it but for REM sure, because was REM diligent was such yeah they were like the clean sorry I got this thing in my chair going on no office. you're good um damn this math sucks uh, <laughs> you're good man get comfy but, um, fix it whatever you gotta do yeah I do need to get something to drink too Am yeah I, I go grab something yeah, go ahead. I'll just I'll I'll start going through some of the some of the behind the scenes ish stuff here. Um, yeah, take your time. Uh, so, 
I mentioned we I mentioned some of the stuff. Um, uh, the new material placed more of focus on songwriting. They had a, a bunch of, of variety of influences. REM was diligent. They were go-getters. They were out there. REM was prolific and focused, whereas the replacements were very much we're not. <laughs> not. We're not. Um, they're not. They were like, I'm sorry for all that. Uh, no, but, you're good. Um, REM was like the very serious band, like yeah, with the serious moves, music, and you know, were very like they were very clean. They were like uh, they definitely embodied that whole like a new wave thing. You know what I mean? Like when punk happened, punk was kind of a dirty word, so they wanted to have new wave. And I feel like REM was like very, very. They fit that bill so well, mm-hmm. and they were the very clean version of like alternative rock or co- what became college rock. And the replacements were such the antithesis of that. Which, you know, it's funny that Peter Buck it landed on the record, but in a way, it's not because he was him and Michael Stipe were both huge fans of this band, like loved them. Mm-hmm. It actually took them out on tour. And when they were on that tour, they got kicked off that tour. The replacements did because they were too much of a fucking mess. <laughs> first, I think this might. This is not the first thing that they do that's like shooting yourself in the foot. Oh no, we'll get into many. SNL and all it's the one of many tomfoolery that ensues here because this is this is a, a, a an incredible time for the band though. I mean, they get such critical acclaim from Let It Be. It's released October 1984. Uh, I mentioned Robert Chista. He gave this album an A+. And the Seattle Rocket rocket critic Bruce Pavitt called Let It Be, quote, a mature, diverse rock that could well shoot these regional boys into the national mainstream. And God damn it, it did. Do you know who Bruce Pavitt is? Uh, I do not off the... He's He's the co-owner of Sub Pop. Oh, okay. Well, hey... He used to write for the Seattle Rocket as well. Uh, and then I think this was obviously before he started Sub Pop. But yeah, kind of oh. cool, right? Yeah, no, that's Just awesome. things like that. Um, Small world. But like, uh, none of them are wrong. Like, I, Robert Christow's review is an A+. It's perfectly correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything that this, if you've never heard the record, if anybody's listening to this podcast or watching it, God forbid you're watching it because <laughs> I can't believe you want to see what either of us look like hey we're some handsome devils <laughs> but if you're listening to this or watching it if you haven't heard that record stop what you're doing stop listening to this and listen to it because it's truly one of the best records rock and roll records probably ever made true it's uh it <laughs> it, it, it it very much so is uh one of the greatest albums of the 80s but also it it's um it it's an experience, man. It's one that you can come back to multiple, multiple, multiple times. You mentioned how it reminds you of a time. Uh, it, it It's one of those records, much like any of the classic albums of of, of the era and, and, and subsequently before or after that, that really speaks to a time and a place. And, oh, man. But it is also timeless in its, in its scope. Like as far as like the songwriting, the playing, the the um, the vibe of it. Uh, this is this is, in, and we'll get into mixes too because mm-hmm. in future albums, especially with like Tim, um, 
it's it's funny because I don't know if I necessarily want a, a new mix of something like this. I feel like this one. We don't need this one. Doesn't need a new mix. This one's it, all it really needs is like maybe a remastering job, mm-hmm. um, just to make it louder. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's all I would do. The mix on it is great. Mm-hmm. It's still very, it's still kind of filled with a little a few '80s tropes mm-hmm. from that time, but they're not nearly as offensive of what as what would be we'd be given later on tim or mm-hmm. any of the records that follow tim like to me i find some of those recordings just fucking terrible but the songwriting is 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 great so it saves the record and you're able to look past it let it be does not have any of that let it be is it's a perfect mix. That's why I think when they do the next record, which we're going to get into, mm-hmm. I think that's why when they put it that record out, when they put Tim out the follow up, and people heard the mixes, they were like, "Why would you make your band sound worse?" Because <laughs> it sounds like shit. Like I, you know, before we get into Tim, I'll say something about Let It Be. Let It Be to me is reminds me of the. Um, Again, this band is very uh, one of my favorites, so I've listened to them a lot. So they, I tie them to a lot of like memories and like times. And this one is definitely like late '90s, early 2000s, like first uh, first love, kind of like living out of my parents' house and on my own for the first time. This is the record. This record and um, Sunny Day Sunny Day Real Estate Diary and the Weaker Than's first record and uh, Drop Dead. <laughs> and the Locust first record and Cola, like all of that stuff is like, and the replacements Let It Be are all my early, like 20, 20 years old. Mm-hmm. It's exactly where I am. Whenever I put this on and I hear Unsatisfied, boom, taken right back there. That's such a great song. Yeah, dude, Unsatisfied is maybe in my top 10 replacement songs. It's hard because they move around quite a bit. Uh, that guitar tone and melody structure is so key to how I write too. And in, in, um, vocally, like I Westerberg has has stated some things about certain songs, and I remember him, Bob, even saying something like, "Yeah, if we'd had like maybe ten more goes around with that song, we it would have been a more, a better song." But it's like, no, you got it, you nailed it. Like, yeah, they pretty much nailed it. They they knocked it out of the park right with that one. I mean, that and Sixteen Blue are like the centerpieces of this record. I think. I think Sixteen Blue is is fundamentally so important too to the band because that's Paul writing to Tommy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, yeah, for sure. And it, I mean, I was listening to it today because you sent that uh, playlist over, and so I was listening to it while I was raking yard or leaves in the backyard. It's such an adult thing to do mm-hmm. you know, at 40 years old in the house you own you know it's just <laughs> fucking wild and so i'm listening to this song Props. like um, yeah thanks yeah so i'm you know you're listening to this song that you heard when you were a teenager but you're in your 40s your early 40s now and you're listening to the lyrics and you're like man he's you know he's so right being 16 and like a teenager is fucking hard this shit sucked you're it in sucks. you're you're in a perpetual pause mode because you're too young. Yeah. You're, or, I'm sorry, you're too young to ma- really do anything adult, and you're you're too old to necessarily be like, well, you know, like mom and dad aren't going to clean this mess. Maybe they are going to clean up the mess for you if you're some 
spoiled rich kid, but like in the Midwest with like real you got to get a job you got you got you got decisions yeah. you got to start to make you got to start to build some sort of confidence if you're ever going to get a girlfriend you have to like it's like the in that there's a line in that chorus where he says uh your age is the hardest age everything just drags and drags it's like yeah dude when you're 16 years old like you're right you have to work this fucking job that pays shit uh you're still living with mom and dad but yet you feel like an adult but, yeah. you, you know, look at now, looking at it now as a 42, three year old man, you can't you can look back at your age at 16. And be like, you're a fucking idiot. You were a child. <laughs> but at that time, you just like you want to get out of like you want to get away from your parents. Like, I didn't want to be, be at home. I wanted to be out with my friends or like going to shows or like playing music in the basement. You know, you want to do those things. Right. Exactly. Um, and that, that, that song just nails it. Like, but you can't drink. You can't party. I mean, in, you, you can, do but if you're a nerd you can, obviously that's <laughs> the thing it's like what's funny is i did not do that shit i didn't start really partying until i got out of my parents house when i was in my parents house i didn't really drink because i felt you know i didn't want to get caught i was a pretty nerdy kid oh i was too I, was, I wasn't cool and i wasn't going to parties and when i did go to parties i didn't feel like drinking because like yeah it's not that i was straight edge or anything I just didn't want to do it. It just wasn't my thing. It wasn't until, um, yeah, I guess I was about 16, uh, 16, 17, but I, every summer I'd go downtown with my friends and drink beer. But, uh, yeah, it's just like 16 sucks. And that song just nails it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, no, yeah, I, anyway. no, I'm glad you mentioned all this stuff. Cause it, I, yeah, I, I, re- I relate to that song specifically too, when I think back at that time, but with, um, with that album, they they got ra- rave reviews. Spin magazines made uh, rank number twelve on Spin magazines list of twenty five greatest albums of all time, and number fifteen on Rolling Stone magazines list of the hundred greatest albums of the nineteen eighties. Let It Be attracted the attention of major record labels, and by late 1984, several had expressed an interest in signing the replacements. Financially, the band was not doing well. They were not selling enough records to recoup recoup the expenses, and money from shows went to recording costs, hotels, travel, food, and instrument repairs. Bob Stinson worked a day job as a pizza chef. Twin Tone was, and he was like the only one working a job. Twin Tone was not being paid... reliably by distributors and the sales of let it be were not high enough to justify extra promotion quote it was time for a major label to take over according to the label's co-owner stark the band was close to a major label contract but often alienated label representatives by intentionally performing badly in concert they're 19 (laughs) shooting themselves in the foot constantly like (laughs) Like, literally They, they have so many chances to do so many great things, and they just like this is the band. This is the band, like the hard luck band, but yeah. not even hard luck because it was just like shitty luck. It's they're fucking idiots. Yeah, <laughs> but awesome, you know. I don't know. Anyway. But but it's it and it and it goes it those the story of this band is the lovable losers and a hundred percent. That's like the a- most accurate thing you can say. <laughs> it's it's this. Um, it's this thing too, though, but because in in retrospect, looking back on it, it is also similarly the case of like, oh, of course they did that, you know, like playing a show mm-hmm. to a punk, a group of punk rockers and being like, you know what, 
let's play Hoot Nanny and fucking <laughs> let's let's play a bunch of like old country covers or you yeah. know you know like uh, I have seen the the Knights of Jesus like like all these old fucking and just getting shitty as fuck drunk and like letting people shout out cover ideas only knowing like okay this is an A and a G and we're just gonna bounce back and forth on this all I know how to sing is I am Iron Man and we're just gonna cover <laughs> black you know um yeah. We're just gonna cover this fucking song we like, but this, but there were there were influences specifically that were coming from Jesperson who would let them comb through his records, and those things were taking hold. One of the big ones being a band that some would say is underrated and some would say is overrated, being Big Star, which we who can says kind of, it's overrated. Uh, who would say it's overrated? There's there's there, dude in this time and age with the internet, you see some stuff that you're like, come on, or you go on Reddit and you you know want to renounce your humanity, but like there there are people that have shit takes, but um, hey, it's okay. That I was gonna say, Big Star is amazing. One of the best things. And I'm glad Paul discovered it. I'm glad Paul discovered it. I'm also glad Wilco discovered it. I'm glad yeah. a lot of bands discovered it. Um, their 1985, speaking of the replacements, live album, "The Shit Hits the Fan," was an example of their concert performances at the time. There are a lot of bands uh, who. And I'm just going to sandwich this one. They had a particularly important show where they played for, we'll say, media or record label, major label record guys. Execs. Execs, yeah. yeah. Um, Where they would go out of their way to play shittily and have their roadie sing or... or, uh, in the instance of when they played in Oklahoma City to 30 people in a 1,200 people venue, and those of those 30 people, the Flaming Lips was there, and mm-hmm. had a profound impact on them. You know, whether it be playing against the crowd, they never had a set list. A lot of times, it was based on feel, and I can respect the fuck out of that. You know, it, yeah. it's it's to me it it reminds me, and because I'm a huge fan of comedy as well, it reminds me of the way that, uh, um, say, a comedian o- operates with hecklers, and I can I can respect it in that you don't let them get the upper hand if if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Hundred percent. Um, the only other band on the side note with the set list thing, the only other band that I know of. For certain, that never wrote set list was Fugazi. Yes, future and episodes. That was, that's yeah, that's pretty amazing. And seeing it in person is something else. It's it's otherworldly. It it rearranged my brain. It fucked my life up. Anyway, <laughs> no, that's good. Um, but this, is, I also want to mention any of these bands that we mentioned during this time, whether it's Husker Du, fuck even. The faces. These are all bands you should check out. Like seriously, people. Like if they if they were an influence on the replacements, chances are they they're a band that will change your life. Um, yeah, those early faces records are great. I mean, even the later ones. Just the faces are great. Even when they were called the small faces, they were great. They're just great. Rod Rod Stewart is an incredible frontman. So mm-hmm. one label, the Warner Brothers 
record subsidiary uh, Sire Records eventually signed the replacements. Yeah, they did it. Seymour Stein was also a complete complete, uh, fucking wasteoid himself. (laughs) Seriously, I have his his autobiography and I haven't read it yet. Um, Yeah. I need to because he just recently died this this year. Uh, I want to say it was this year or last year. Mm. I feel like it was this year. But you know, the man was responsible for signing Madonna, the Replacements, and are not. I'm sorry, Madonna, the Ramones, the Talking mm-hmm. Heads, the Dead Boys, but the Smiths on his label. You know, you guys did a pretty good job of things. Uh, Jesus and Mary Chain, oh. fucking uh, Ministry. There's so much shit on Sire. Anyway so good yes he was a wasteoid he saw them he saw the replacements i'm pretty sure you're gonna say this he saw the replacements when he was super hammered and he fucking loved it <laughs> totally totally and so did alex shilton um yep. so he yeah he he is a producer for their first major label album tim here we go tim oh man tim I love this record. Uh, this again, is... as I said at the start of this episode, will forever. It's the first replacements record that I bought, mm-hmm. and it will forever remind me of being 16 years old, like permanently etched in my skull, driving around in my 1984 Delta 88. <laughs> there you go. With my shitty pioneer cd player that i got installed at best buy or some shit like that oh man <laughs> oh yeah i did yeah. the same and i remember like you know what i got it i remember i listened to it i have a vivid memory of this i have a vivid memory of listening to it driving to get food and then coming back this is like a year or so after i've had the record mm-hmm. or whenever but driving back from somewhere on Plainfield with food i want to say we were coming back from vitalis on leonard down Plainfield with food to go to her parents house to watch the final episode of seinfeld the night that it aired (laughs) why do i remember that oh because of this record totally yeah no Mm -hmm. i that's awesome yeah it's released october 1985 um this is a big album. I, I would say this is probably... And look, I have a top three albums of this band, and this is always in there. It it also moves around to whether or not it's my favorite, and I think really the reason it's moved specifically probably closer to my number one spot is because of the Ed Stasem mixes oh, yeah. and, and this release it, that's came. It, it fixed that, that record. Like, most... I would not... I don't really think a lot of records benefit from uh, remixes, remasters for sure. Mm-hmm. But a lot of records really do not benefit from a, a remix most of the time. This right. record, it's like night and day. Yes, it's like what what it did to that record. It's crazy. <clears throat> the original mix obviously has the tropes of '80s engineering and production. With the big gated snare drum, so it sounds very 80s, very tinny, it sounds very thin. This new mix, you can actually hear the low end, you can hear Tommy playing bass, and some of his bass parts are fucking insane. Mm-hmm. Um, it, this, there's different guitar things that I've never noticed before. Uh, they're really cool. They make little mascara a little longer on mm-hmm. the new mix. Mm-hmm. Um it just sounds better. It sounds thicker. It sounds like them. It sounds like it sounds like the record that should have followed up 
Um, let it be. Um, let it be. Which I, I want to mention for let it be, they had they. <laughs> I think like they. they like most guys, they're like, yeah, we'll we'll just call this album Dog Come. But they couldn't come up with a name to save their lives. And literally, they one of them were in the van and were like, um, we'll just name it after the first song we hear on the radio. And Jesperson like, clenches his ass and turns the radio on. And there's the Beatles' iconic Let It Be on the radio and that's what they vote yeah. that's what they, that's what they went with and also the album art for that album is iconic because it's just the four of them on the roof of the house that they had band practice in which yeah. nothing solidifies and becomes more iconic than that that image of at least for me like when i think of the replacements i see that image in my head too for sure that's um, the picture that you've picture of that band totally totally Easily. like it 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 it's essentially like the classic art of classic art version of the replacements. I, and I was thinking I had the weirdest thought today. I was like the replacements, if it was a horror movie franchise would be like evil dead, like as iconic. I don't know why I thought of that, but that was just like the weird path. My brain went why, down. Why evil dead? Because it's like long lasting, timeless. It's almost like sets Made made its own genre in a weird way, but like also, yeah, yeah. doesn't det- I get what you're saying. Doesn't doesn't detract from say other things. Um, but no. Tim is the fourth studio album by American alternative rock band The Replacements. It has bangers front to back again. Ten out of ten, a plus album. Yeah, you've got can't Not hardly wait. Wrong with this. You've got can't hardly wait on this album as a added bonus on the Ed Stasem with the electric version, which I think you specifically were highlighting at least in social media world. But like, I, I agree. Yeah, like this version there's a is few different versions. There's a few different versions on this new one. There's mm-hmm. the, the electric one with the, the kind of like rougher, different vocal mm-hmm. approach. Um, and then there's one with cello and then there's one with acoustic and then there's like a demo. And then there's one that's, it came out on this collection that came out in the '90s called uh, "All for Nothing, Nothing for All," mm-hmm. and on that collection, it was called the Tim version. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember what order it is on the new mix uh, release, but that version, the "Can't Hardly Wait" Tim version, is insane. Yes, like I heard the one that the one that you put on the playlist mm-hmm. is one of the versions, but it's not that version. That version is crazy good. Um, yeah, the Tim version is crazy good. <clears throat> Which also, again, going in line with the uh, lovable loser tag, or you know, the most fucking cursed band in the world, <laughs> they recorded this version of can't hardly wait the tim version and it was going to be the initial single from the record yeah but they decided not to put it on the record because i think paul westerberg didn't think it was right and he wasn't happy with it yet Mm -hmm. had they come out with this mix and this and the tim version on the record back then they would have been the, the biggest band in Never. just huge just huge yeah. it would have been huge because that song is so good mm-hmm. and it would have been a hit it just would have been a hit but they I didn't mean, put it on the record and it's a good enough whatever. song to launch an entire <laughs> it, it, to launch an, what some may consider an iconic 90s um, 
romantic teen film if you will yeah can't, can't hardly wait, wait. <laughs> um but yeah it's it's that good it, it and it 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 has that it has multiple versions and every version is valid because the songwriting is so good but with tim you also get another 10 out of 10 and this will lead into the snl performance as well with one of like i get chills when i think of this song because it is bastards of young it is Mm -hmm. maybe one of the greatest rock songs ever and and i'd put it up there for sure it is so i'm gonna try not to get emotional here Uh this lyrically as a song is like in the Mount Rushmore of lyrics for me is specifically with this verse. Um, and I'm going to read from the lyrics here. The ones who love us best are the ones we'll lay to rest and visit their graves on holidays at best. The ones who love us least are the ones we'll die to please. If it's any consolation, I don't begin to understand them. That yeah. shit is so fucking deep and resonates with 16-year-old Ryan to 41-year-old Ryan in the same 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 feel but even yeah. more so now than I can even extrapolate and expand on and explain uh, mm-hmm. that song is so fu- I'm I'm this is again speaking to the midwestness of us and in this band i'm so fucking proud of this band for achieving that type of a song and they nailed it It, and i i don't know about you but for years for years Mm -hmm. until this new mix came out i thought he was saying we are the sons of no one Mm -hmm. but it's not it's weight on the sons of no one Mm -hmm. i thought it was we are for the longest time, and now, now I can in the new mix you can actually hear him say, "Wait on the songs." Mm-hmm. I'm like, "Oh man, that makes the song so much better." <laughs> totally. Well, that's also and and not to discredit your, what you thought the version was is because I'm sure there's a recorded version where he said it the other way too. Because this is a yeah. this isn't a guy that likes to do multiple takes the same way. You know, mm-hmm. these guys like us get bored as shit when they have to play the same thing twice. So, oh for um, sure. <laughs> But I would say too for this for this song. I know I I do love this song, but it's not my favorite song in the record. I get you, dude. I yeah, there are, mine, Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Well, no, okay. You were gonna say your favorite. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Uh, I would say my favorite on the record is "Left of the Dial." Oh, totally. Down. That's that's that and "Little Mascara." Those are tied. see. And I, I will admit, too, Bastards of Young, as much praise as I just threw on it, Swingin' Party's my favorite. That's a great one, too. I mean, Swingin' Party is... I, It just means more. It, it, mm-hmm. But that's like calling... For me, this record is, like I, I said, front-to-back bangers. Swingin' Party speaks to a vibe that I, I adore in music that comes through and again in lyrics and in performance but this is also and we hinted at it too a big division point for bob and the rest of the band this is the this is kind of uh the this is the last straw like i was Mm -hmm. i bought the the new mix and there's a huge booklet in there right and so i read the booklet and uh um tom tommy ramone who recorded the record along with ed statesman 
mm-hmm. uh, said that he maybe saw uh, Bob the entire summer that he was there with the band working on the record. He saw Bob like three times. Yeah, and Bob barely played on the record. When he did play on the record, he just kind of came in. He was either wasted or didn't give a fuck and just kind of played whatever over the music. And they just kind of pick and chose the best bits that would fit into whatever song, you know. And Bob, to like your point, you said earlier, Bob was still working a job when they put out "Let It Be," and they started doing really well. Uh, Bob still was working the job when they signed to a major label. He didn't have to work the job, but he was so checked out with being in that band that he just kept his job. He was just, he never, he never fully believed anything that he was going to do was going to succeed. So he was like, he never quit his job mm. ever. Uh, yeah. Because even though his friends were like, dude, you're on a major label now, you're in a band that's like going to, you know, eventually, you know, we'll get to it. They'll be on SNL. Like you're going to be on TV, you're going to be selling. You're going to be touring all the time. You can't have a job. I mean, you would still keep a job. But yeah, I it, think this is this is the last record Bob is even remotely on, and he's barely on it. Yeah. <laughs> well, and he's checked out. Like you said, um, he... And it's not because he doesn't love the band. I mean, it's a heartbreaking process when somebody quits a band or you have to fire a band member. Um, mm-hmm. The and, 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 and like you said, it's like a family. And when they had to make this decision, it was hard on them. But the band spent the remainder of 1985 after the release uh, and the first half of 1986 touring behind Tim. In mid-January 1986, the replacements received a last-minute request to appear as the musical guest on the edition of January 18th of Saturday Night Live, replacing the scheduled act, the Pointer Sisters. Oh, yeah. Uh, the invitation was partly thanks to the show's musical director at the time, G.E. Smith, who was a replacement fan. That's which great. is great. However, yeah. as, a revolt, as a result of their shambolic and profanity-laced performance, which, I mean, all, all that happens is during Bastards of Young, Westerberg is really just trying to make sure Bob gets into his solo on time. And off mic says, you know, like, come on, fucker. Um, yeah. You can't hear it in the recording. I've seen the SNL performance recording. You can't hear it. You can see him mouthing it, but like the only people that heard it were up in the booth just because they're running sound. And, you know, fucking Dr. Evil is like, oh, God. Like he loses his fucking cool completely on a season of SNL that sucked dick to begin with. I mean, like you've got Robert Downey Jr. on there for God knows what reason, even though I love him as an actor. You've got a lot of just like, this is a transitional period for SNL that it, that oh, 100%. it need- this was the this was the um sorry if the audio quality changed my headphones died oh no you're good um this was the period of SNL that no one was watching like the only reason why I remember seeing this performance was because when we were teenagers they would show SNL SNL reruns on Comedy Central all the time and they would play episodes from this season or these two seasons i can't remember which years it is 85 86 87 like that spanning mm-hmm. years um and i saw the replacements one and i was like what the what i can't believe i'm seeing this uh it, harry dean Staten was the host <laughs> that's right um but yeah i just like you're right i don't think it's like it's not there's nothing offensive about it other than you know they were really drunk 
you can tell they're hammered drunk while they're doing it. Um, and I think they might have like destroyed the dressing room or something too. But well, Harry Dean Stanton, who is fucking a uh, national treasure, RIP. He yeah. literally like they were trying to not let. I, I I'm not necessarily sure on the logistics. You, of, they were trying to keep the two of them away from each other. Right? Is that what it is? Kind of. Well, yeah. essentially, he went backstage and he's like, oh, I'm Harry Dean Stanton. And they're just like, hey, you're cool. You want to drink with us? And then, like, go launch into stories about working on Alien, working with David Lynch, all the kind of cool shit you want to hear about or yeah. whatever Harry Dean is in the process of at the time. But, like, they're, they're just getting along famously as friends, just getting fucking sloshed in the back, and Bob's just getting, you know, into his uh, his Jekyll and Hyde persona and getting fucked yeah. up and putting on a dress, and then he trips while he's walking on stage, but recovers, launching the Bastards of Young. It's amazing. The performance, people are losing their mind. And then I think they do Kiss Me on the, on the Bus as their second performance. But they even did. at that point, they'd have, been, they'd have been told, like, you're never fucking coming back. But they just went up there and, and nailed it. I think mm -hmm. Bob throws his guitar in the air and then clocks himself in the head. Um, <laughs> but it's but it's a triumph for them. Like, they think yeah. they, 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 even if they're getting, you know, booted, whatever, from Dr. Evil, like, they're still legitimate. Le, le, it legitimizes in that they perform well, the, the audience loves it, and, you know, Unfortunately, though, back home, like they got to see it, but they didn't like the replacements never really got to see it because it immediately got pulled. Yeah, they didn't get to see it. And like I said, when I saw it on Comedy Central, I think there's a few other people out there that saw it, too. But I don't think they ran that episode much. No. So, so weird when I saw it because I it's like it's kind of like <clears throat> that episode and the one with fear are the two that never you're never going to see. I don't know if you've heard of that. Like, there's a classic, like, um, Fear, the punk rock band from L.A. in 81 or 82, 80 maybe? I don't know what year it was. 81. Got invited to play on SNL because John Belushi was the host, and the only way that Belushi would host is if he could get them to play the show. And they had, like, a full-on slam mosh pit in the front, in the crowd, in the, in the pit, like, you know, in 81 was like dudes from the Cro-Mags, Ian McKay and uh, Henry Rollins and Jeff Nelson and all these people from D.C. Like it and they played like a typical L.A. punk, what an L.A. punk kid would be like, but on national television, like stage diving and like, you know, just super fast, hardcore music. Uh, it did not. I mean, I don't even think it made it all the way through. I think they made have made it all the way through the performance, but it got like taken off the air because it was like <clears throat> wild. You can find the footage on YouTube now, but like it was one of those things where it was like Middle America's first taste of hardcore, like underground hardcore, and people slant and, and then the replacements kind of did. So like it's like Elvis Costello, Fear, and the replacements, and I think Shannon Shane O'Connor and. Um, can't remember who else. There's a few people that have been banned from SNL, but like that's those are the ones that I remember. The fear stuff is great because it's like you can see Ian, you can see Henry, you can see everyone like slam dancing. This is just before Henry would join Black Flag and move to LA. So wow, right. Well, 
you know, you mentioned we we kind of hinted at the 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 interesting and almost strange bedfellows of comedians and actors that kind of sandwich themselves into uh, iconic bands like The Replacements or, um, you know, like like Here Comes a Regular is one of my also favorite replacement songs, and that ends up being on. To, to, to uh, close out Tim and also speaks to Westerberg's consciousness of the problems that were facing the band, especially when it came to alcoholism in the group. But um, I know here comes a regular. It's a great song about being a, like it, it's a perfect snapshot of like, even like a town like ours. Mm-hmm. Like, Cause in the winter, I was just telling some people about this. There's nothing to do in the winter there because it's so fucking cold that when you're of age and you end up going to a bar, and if you go to like the crappy bars, you'll see the guys that have been doing that since they were in their 20s, and they're like regulars there now. It's like just like this culture of like drinking and just becoming a regular at a bar in your neighborhood. It's like it's kind of it's like a sad story, but it's almost like. That song is the encompass the encompasses the feeling of like yes it is a sad story but it's also going to be your reality no matter what because it's just what it is you know what I mean like no and I think it's truth. it's it, a hard truth to what your reality could be if you continue doing what you're doing this is what it is right and it speaks to Bob and it's and it yeah. and even Bob admitted that it was a great song uh, but. Really, I, I wanted to mention Here Comes a Regular as well, because George Went, uh, Norm of Cheers, was a huge Replacements fan. And I think he, at least in some some aspect, alluded to, ooh, was that, do you think maybe he, like, almost in a nebbish, like, nerdy way, was like, maybe that's kind of like a song about Norm in, in Cheers, you know? Um, I mean, in a way it is. In a way it is. It is it, it's the story of that character mm-hmm. but a real, a real person you know that character that's just the every day after work you go in there to your favorite bar and you just talk to the bartender and the other regulars around you that is sure why not take it norm take, take it. it take it george uh anyway so the the band you know had that kind of falling out but over the 30 years the recordings were were, were let's see a few weeks later, on February 4th, 1986, the band returned to New York City area to perform at Maxwell's in Hoboken, New Jersey. The show was professionally recorded by a crew hired by the band's label, Sire Records, for use in a possible live album. Over 30 years later, the recordings were finally released as a double album for sale live at Maxwell's 1986. The tour ended argu- uh, abruptly in June 1986 because Westerberg injured his finger during a show at the Ritz in New York City. Um, that, that Maxwell's record is great. Yeah. If you haven't listened to it, it's great. It's probably like, they're actually like, I have the other one that they released around the same time as the reissue for um, Don't Tell a Soul. Mm-hmm. Dead Man's Maxwell Pop? One, yeah, Dead Man's Pop is the reissue of Don't Tell a Soul, but they put out a live record, mm-hmm. which looking at right now, yeah, it's it's the, it's the, um, it's the, it's the vinyl version of the two CD live CD discs that came with the uh, Don't Tell a Soul reissue. And it's great. So, like, the Maxwell's one's really good. That recording's really good. I used to have shit hits, hits a fan. I used to have that. Um, Which the artwork for was hand-drawn by Chris Mars, who is also an excellent artist, by the way. And you should everyone should follow him on Instagram. He's great. And then I, like, I sold that. But anyway... 
Um, that that record, Maxwell's, and that other one are great. That's all I was going to say. Because you, if you haven't heard it, you should check it out. They're actually playing really well. It's mm-hmm. great. <laughs> yeah, no, and I think for everybody who felt gypped when they went and saw them, like, say, the punk rockers who wanted to hear Sorry Ma and Stink, I think you can appreciate it now. And if you're still living in that era in mindset, you need to, I don't know, touch grass, maybe go outside. <laughs> Just move on. Move on a little bit, buddy. Anyway, so now we're going to get into Please to Meet Me, and obviously um, when they, the band decided to fire Bob, which was was hard, and I'm I'm assuming was, was probably the hardest on Tommy. Um, yeah. And my heart goes out to Tommy. You know, it, he's he he's developing his own alcohol issues at the time, and um, probably in the only way he knew how to, which was following his his real big brother and really his pseudo big brother in Paul yeah. and Chris I mean Chris also had had a moniker or, or uh, uh, I don't know if you knew about this where he would just dress up like a clown randomly oh, yeah uh, what was his what was his Pappy Pappy yep Pappy yeah that's that was it yeah, the Pappy the clown thing when he would dress up and yeah, that was bad news. You know, it was going to be bad news. <laughs> bad news. And also just startling and like, you know, you just turn around and your fucking drummer is dressed up like Bozo for a minute there. It's like, come oh. on, dude. Oh, yeah. And and not even like a fun Bozo the Clown, like a mime, weird, like 20s throwback clown. It's like, come on, man, we're trying to play fucking Gary's got a boner and I got to look back Ooh. and I'm confused if I'm in the big top or not. Um, but... So they they uh, they fired Bob Stinson from the band which he had founded, or he chose to leave, or a little of both. In either case, it was due to creative and personal differences between Stinson and the remainder of the band. Aggravated by Stinson's alcohol and drug abuse issues, they also fired. And this was this is always crazy to me to because I forget because to me if there was one cheerleader it was Peter Jesperson, but they did fire him oh, yeah. the same year. Um, and Jesperson, I think that was a, was a well, no, go I ahead. Know. I was thinking about it. I was thinking about it. I'm like, I think it was a bad move on their part. Mm-hmm. I do. But also I think it was a good move because I get it. I think Paul needed to work with someone that would help him realize what he actually had in his head, which was more of the. I don't want to say, for lack of a better term, softer songs or the more singery, songwritery songs. He needed that. Jesperson was kind of that guy, but at the end of the day, he's still going to want like a rock record, right? And right. I, think, I think Paul just wanted to work with someone new and get new ideas. I think that I do think, in some ways, it was a good idea. In some ways, it was a bad idea. More so, it was a good idea probably to get rid of Jesperson so they could grow as a band. I agree, and yeah. and and it's 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 sad because Jesperson was the he's yeah. he's he's the band dad or band mom, if you will. Like his his love for the band is so apparent, especially when you read Trouble Boys and or watch any of the numerous like docs online or just delve into the history of the band in general. I mean, Jesperson took his kids to see the replacements when they had reunion shows later on in the story. And like, he was, it, it was his favorite. It was his, it felt like his baby, you know, and that sucks. 
it sucks. It's like never good to hear that, you know, it's never good to get broken up with. And it, like we said, being in a band, and he was definitely a huge part of that band. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you get dumped, it's never fun. No, no, <laughs> been there. Uh, speaking of which, shout out to our, our mutual uh, friend and lovely lady, uh, if you're if you're interested, replacements fans in a masculine fem, feminine energy, we can recommend a great Instagram if you want to follow it. <laughs> uh, Bell, shout out to you, um, Pussy Flowers, if you will. Uh, Bob Stinson refer, re- preferred the louder, faster style of the band's earlier music, while Westerberg was exploring new territory in ballads like "Here Comes a Regular" and "Swing and Party." The remaining replacements carried on as a trio for "Please to Meet Me." And I would say this is the third of my top three uh, replacements records. Please to yeah. meet me. I'll, I'll, also, I'll agree. I'll agree. I, I'm glad we're in agreement. I feel like we were a little differing on on our ISIS episode, but I think here we can agree. Yeah, uh, this, I would definitely put like for me, you can in, interchange Lenny Tim now mm-hmm. with the new mix. Tim, you can really change it. And before that, it was always let it be then Tim. Mm-hmm. Now it's like either of them could be number one. So I don't know, whatever day it is. But third is always going to be this one for sure. Totally. <laughs> this album, um, I'll, I'll be going to Memphis in the spring and I'm planning on doing some, some, some please to meet me uh, hit music history uh, scoping yeah. out while I'm there. Uh, but not only because of that, I mean, obviously. This album was recorded in Memphis with big star producer Jim Dickinson and Minneapolis guitarist Slim Dunlap took over on lead guitar for the subsequent tour and soon became a full member of the band. He's not on the record, though. No, not on the record. This is, well, Westerberg was pulling double duty. And um, this album, I, God, it's, again, for me, this is a 10 out of 10 as well. You've got obviously can't hardly wait with a with a horn section. You've got Alex Chilton, which is in my top ten favorite. Like that song just rips. The um, ledge, the ledge is amazing. All uh, and and I think a lot of people were a little turned off by the ledge when it came to kind of like the how dark it was specifically. Yeah. But I think it's just a beautiful song. It's uh, great. I think when we really approach dark subject matters and especially in a band as to me as authentic as the replacements are it can be done in in a really beautiful way i use an amazing song um i love never mind mind. yeah i i dude skyway again and i mentioned it before skyway is one of the most beautiful paul westerberg songs ever that i've ever heard him do um and it speaks to that again, like I'm, I think I mentioned it earlier, like that love, uh, that lost love vibe of his answering machine, and kind of that yeah. that vibe that he can he he Westerberg really nails. Um, but I I did just want to mention some of the some of the standout tracks on there. Um, this the the this album was a big deal for the band and Tommy even Hey Shadow is one of the demos from this 
which features Tommy singing on it, and it's so yeah, fucking good. For the outtakes, yeah, it's great. I, I don't have the special edition. I don't know why I don't have the special edition, but I've got to get this. I've got to get that and Dead Man's Pop. I'm bummed. Dead Man's Dead Man's Pop. You got it. Um, Please to meet me uh, if you go to Rhino right now. Or even if you go, I I don't recommend this, but if you got to get it, you got to get it. But like Amazon has like a Black Friday deal for a lot of vinyl records. I saw the Tim Let It Bleed and I saw Please To Meet Me on there pretty well discounted. For people who, who really want to get their hands on the vinyl, I I mean, I get it. I, I, I'm tempted to pick up the, the Please to, me, to Meet Me on vinyl through that. Um, Mostly because right now I've been doubling up on a lot of my LPs because my daughter is huge into vinyl at 15. Like, she's got all the Smiths records now, and, like, we've been getting, like, the Cure vinyl for her, too. Um, oh, that's cool. <laughs> that's what you have to look forward to, my guy. And, like, I, like, I'm reliving all my favorite albums through my daughter, and it's fucking awesome. Um, <laughs> but, like, Slim, Slim Dunlap, I wanted to mention him, too. Like, sometimes you, the Lord offers us some layups in life. And with Slim, I feel like it was one of those situations. Granted, he was much, he was 35 and they were in their, still in their mid to late 20s. I mean, you know, Tommy was like four, four years old at the time. But like, Slim, (laughs) Slim, Slim was such a crazy thing because he was he worked adjacent to Bob in some capacity and Bob like recommended him, you know, to the band, which I mean, talk about something that is a smooth transition. Like if somebody leaves a band and they offer such a such a replacement for the replacements. How how wild is that? Totally. Also, I want to mention, I think when the replacements first started their band name was like dog breath which is yeah, yeah. which speaks to which speaks to bobby and tom's fight everybody has these stupid names i love the replacements as a band name like it's to me it's iconic but um yeah. let's get into don't tell a soul and all shook down and we'll, we'll we'll start to wrap it up with 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 when the band ends in their kind of hyde park our chicago final show in the in 1990 which- the opening band at that show was none other than who? The Goo Goo Dolls. <laughs> of course it was. And Paul Westerberg wrote, help. Anyway, we'll get into it. Yeah. Let's go back to Dead Man's Pop or Don't, Don't Tell, Tell a Soul. The band's next album, Don't Tell a Soul, was a. Tell a Soul was a quieter, less punky affair, largely considered an attempt at mainstream success. I, I could see that. Uh, 100%. While the move cost the replacements the appreciation of some hardcore fans, the album has some notable songs such as Aiken to Be and I'll Be You, the latter of which topped the Billboard Modern Rock chart. The band then made a second appearance on network television on the short-lived ABC program International Rock Awards, for which they performed a typically energetic version of Talent Show. Talent Show is one of my favorite replacement songs. The song is great. The song is great, but off of this record, I'm gonna to have to go with Aiken to Be or uh, Will Inherit the Earth. Mm-hmm. I and do. I love Will Inherit the Earth. I'll be. I'll be you is really great too. I feel. Yeah, oh, go ahead. Dead Man's Pop. Uh, speaking of, kind of circling back to the Ed Stasem mix for uh, Tim. Dead Man's Pop really brought out more um, 
for me than this, the original version of this with Don't Tell a Soul, because um, something about this original mix had such an 80s um, oh, yeah. and, and, and a, almost to its detriment flair to it that that really uh, it to me it kind of hampers the 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 album i would still give the i would still put this album above sorry ma and uh hootenanny um of the of the two latter like i i would say i like this album more than i do say all shook down um uh, yeah this one's good it's just it's different because you're right it's like you know the record prior to it we, you know we got skyway and mm-hmm. a few jams like that that were a little less attacky but overall please to meet me still had this like rock and roll attack to it mm-hmm. uh, but don't tell a soul is vastly different mm-hmm. uh, it you know the 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 sound of the record is very calm. It's a very it's a lot calmer of a record. There might be some quote unquote raucous songs on it, like when um oh what's that song? I'm honest, I can't. Anywhere is better than here. When anywhere is better mm-hmm. than here starts, and it's like yeah, you think it's gonna walk, and then it doesn't. It just goes to this like very calm like guitar riff. I mean, it's a very calm record. It mm-hmm. never really truly rocks out. It it but it's still great. It's still great. Like it, there's still a, a soul to it, if you will. Yeah. You know, like it didn't. It it's not a it's not a vapid. Like again, like I mentioned this earlier, of the seven albums and EP and singles and all that stuff, none of none of these releases are bad. None of these releases are even just like mediocre. Like there's still a soul and a, a beating heart to this band. Um, However, I'll I'll beg to differ when we get to the next. I I know I know I'm waiting for that. This this record <clears throat> for those that don't know, and we're probably going to get into it. I don't know if you're planning on doing it afterward, but oh. after we get to the next record. But I feel like we should talk about the reissue of this record with mm-hmm. this record because um, initially when they recorded it. They recorded it, and the sequence was different. Of the original release was supposed to be completely different than what we got on "Don't Tell a Soul," and they were going to call it "Dead Man's Pop," but they changed the name to "Don't Tell a Soul." But when they did the reissue, they had uh, they put out what was supposed to be the original mix by Andy Wallace or Matt Wallace. Mm-hmm. What is it, Wallace? Wallace, um, you're right. So they were supposed to supposed to put it out with the original mix that he did in the original order. And it Matt Wallace, out. sorry. Matt Wallace, yeah. And I don't know why they changed it, but they changed it into what would become Don't Tell a Soul, and that got commercially released, and it fell flat. It really did. When it came out, I mean, now we can look at it and listen to it and be like, it's great, it's got a great song. But when mm-hmm. it came out, it fell flat. As a follow-up to the two records, or three records previous, it was like, what the fuck are these cats doing? Mm-hmm. With the reissue of "Don't" or with the reissue of "Don't Tell a Soul," aka "Dead Man's Pop," you got to hear what it was supposed to initially sound like, and when you hear it that way, it makes more sense as a logical follow-up to "Please to Meet Me," Tim, and "Let It Be." Mm-hmm. It really does. I mean, yes, the band is progressing and not playing as hard rock and shit as they used to, mm-hmm. but the progression doesn't seem as abrupt. Mm-hmm. It seems 
when you listen to the Dead Man's Pop version, for sure, in my opinion. And to put this into context, what John's speaking on, um, this is 1989 when this is released, and Dead Man's Pop, or the Rhino release, um, you're talking September 2019. I mean, that's a huge gap in time. Yeah. But yeah. it's but it it's it speaks to this episode coming out that we're doing on this band and kind of our relationship to the band and how it's evolved and how it will probably continue to evolve as we get older. This album specifically is obviously it's a turning point for Westerberg who is suffering with his own taking on the taking uh in continuing on with the band and trying to explore what he wants to do and also what the band mates want to do. And I think yeah. Chris specifically, Chris is probably thinking, at least in my estimation at the time, like, you know, I'm just going to be the drummer for the replacements and, you know, I'll just follow whatever Paul says. Cause he knows he's got the, he's got the vision and, and, and Paul did even when he came in, like after hearing these guys blasting, practice and you know with the yeah. noise complaints from the cops and all that he all, it, yeah once paul walked into that basement it was the stinson's band mm-hmm. but paul was steering the ship but as the band continued to go forward and forward and forward and where we're at now with don't tell a soul it's literally paul's ship now mm-hmm. but since in this band with the, all these other guys he's still got to do what we do in bands and you've got to compromise mm-hmm. but that's about to end true (laughs) (laughs) true uh don't tell a soul received generally favorable reviews with critics noting the music's more mature themes and increasing disillusionment along with more of a positive outlook ira robbins of rolling stone praised westerberg's writing stating that don't tell a soul is full of his sharp-tongued wordplay and idiosyncratic musical structures in february 1990 the album was ranked at number 16 in the village voices 1989 paz and jop critics poll the Paz and Jop. The Paz and Jop. <laughs> the Smashing um, Pumpkins, James Eha named the song, Iha or whatever, named the Eha. song, yeah, thank you, Ache, mm-hmm. uh, named the song Aching to Be to his mixtape for Dreamers, commenting, this is great because he's talking about a would-be artist who's trying to do bigger stuff, and it sounds like someone everyone knows. Yeah, it's, it's the story of, I was listening to it, and it's literally... The story of a lot of people I've known, um, not maybe the whole song, but certain parts of it are like people that I've known that have done like really great shit and they're afraid to show it to people mm-hmm. or they don't or they don't like pursue it further or they don't just like go, fuck it, I'm going to go for it. They just kind of let it go. And then you're like, whatever happened to that? Yeah. Like, yeah, whatever. I'm like, dude, it was really good. You should have did something with it. Like there's a guy that we're mutually friends with in Grand Rapids. <laughs> Dan Fisher. Oh, I love him. Okay. Yeah. So Dan, I met shit. What year is it now? 2013. I met him in 2020, 2009. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe, yeah. So I'm right. It's 2023, <laughs> but I get what you're saying. 2009. Did I say 2003? You said 2013. 2013. Okay. 2023. You get what I mean? No, I get um, you, brother. But I met him and he was, you know, he's great musician great guitarist and they started this band called little village mm-hmm. and little village recorded this one record um 
They actually put out two, but their first one that they actually were like playing shows and doing stuff for, they put out this one record. And it's literally, if you've never heard it, I don't even know if you can find it anymore. They might have a band camp. I have no idea. But I'll have to ask Dan. I know he's a huge Replacements fan, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but they recorded this record. And uh, it's just they they are the song Aiken to be. They're mm-hmm. the band because they like did it. And they were like played a few shows around Grand Rapids, but the record was so good that I was like, "You guys need a tour. You need to do it. You need to get out on the road because you would be a huge band, without question. Mm-hmm. Your record is that good." <clears throat> and I still maintain that. I still maintain if they would have toured, they would have been huge. But they couldn't because Rob um, was in school to become a nurse. I think he's still a nurse. Maybe he's a doctor now. I have no idea. I haven't talked to Rob in ages. Rob, if you happen to hear this, hey. Mm. Um, but Rob was doing that super cool guy really funny great frontman great voice great guitarist but he was doing school and matt churchill their bassist was doing other things anyway they are the song aiken to be mm. they should be huge but only a select few people heard it or saw it you know as the song said it always paints her canvas but never shows a soul mm. you know what I mean? mm-hmm. it was kind of like that yeah i you know uh, one of the great pleasures of my life is being able to show people those 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 bands and those things. And you've brought you you brought this up to me about um, Little Village and and uh, especially with the with Dan, who is also another sober buddy or dry buddy. Um, I I appreciate that we we mentioned that because. Uh, there's so many people that do so many phenomenal things, and I just don't want them to ever think like that's lost on on us. Yeah, that no one's noticing. You want you want them to know that someone at least notices. Of course, always, and and I I applaud everyone who continues to create. And I yeah, I just talked to my buddy Jeff Ziegler, who's the pretty much the owner and operator of Uniform Recording out of. Philadelphia, and he's worked with so many incredible bands like Nothing and Kurt Vile, and been like sound for the War on Drugs and recorded War on Drugs and and stuff like that. And like those yeah. people who who have the who continue to go in in whatever respective way that they do, like just you know never give up, man. And and with Westerberg at this time when we're, where we talk about Don't Tell a Soul. He's definitely starting to to get to where he becomes the person that he will be subsequently in the 90s and uh, up until now and after even reunions. Yeah. Um, I think the tw- your 20s and 30s are really spent trying to figure out who you're going to be f- pretty much forever. And Westerberg is really starting to see who that is in this era, and especially when we get to our final album, All Shook Down. Which, in my opinion, is essentially just the first Paul Westerberg solo record. Yes. In fact, it's mostly hired guns, even in the studio. Like, even Chris Mars is like, hey, I'm the drummer, and, and there's just a session drummer sitting there like... Yeah. Uh, I think did Tommy play on it or no? He did. I mean, all shook. Okay, so following a disastrous tour 
opening for Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Westerberg recorded a new album largely with session musicians, but was persuaded to release it as a replacements album. All shook down one critical praise and more mainstream attention, and its debut single, Merry-Go-Round, again topped the modern rock charts. However, the album's many guest players in Mars' quick departure from the band following the album's release led many to wonder about the band's future. They also received a nomination for a Grammy Award for Best Alternative Music Album. The, the song "Merry-Go-Round" is the only good song on that record. I would I would argue that "All Shook Down" the title track is actually my favorite on that one. I could not. I actually went the other day, like, I, you know, after getting the new release, mm-hmm. I went back and I listened to all of them, and I was like, "All right, we're gonna listen to "All Shook Down." I haven't listened to this record in forever, and it is the only one I've never bought. Because I hate it. <laughs> I'm with I'm with I'm with you on despising it in that as as somebody who is a massive replacements fan as you are and as I am. I'm like looking at the track list and I'm like Marigold is good. Sadly Beautiful is good. Been out of shape is alright. Been out of shape was actually um a band took that North Lincoln used to play with a lot who was called Been Out of Shape. Oh cool. They got their name from that, and they had a great songwriter named Jamie, and Jamie passed away too young from uh, partying too hard, but Jamie was amazing. Um, so that's how I I have always tied that song to them, because and him and the memory of like hanging out with them, so that's why I guess I like it. Um, yeah. But yeah, to your point, All Shook Down is a great song, but overall, I'm just like looking at the track list, and I'm like, this thing sucks. I get you. <laughs> well, part of my... Pl- the 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 my love for the song all shook down is that it's westerberg in his most decrepit alcohol abuse state like he's recording that flat on his back in the studio just moaning and groaning from like years of alcohol and drug abuse (laughs) and it comes through like that struggle in that performance and so like for for me it it the vibe of that song just fits, but the release of it um, really is, you know, the death knell of the replacements as a whole. And they they all go on in their own respect. Chris Mars goes on to record his own solo work. Bash and Pop is a is a band that Tommy fronts, and he also goes on to become the bassist for Guns N' Roses, which is fucking rock yeah. and roll. You, you froze there for a minute. Oh, sorry. Let me just um, check. You were saying um, something about them breaking up, and uh... well, mostly, mostly, I was saying that uh, they all went on to do their own musical careers. Uh, the Hyde Park show is, like you said, that uh, I think that's when uh, they have music fests around Fourth of July every year in Chicago, like Taste of Chicago and stuff like that. And um, this Hyde Park show was, is is crazy because they were signed to... <laughs> it ends up being the promoter shaking his fist like, you guys, get back on stage. You have more music to play. But they're just yeah. like, fuck it, we're done. Get in the car and leave. And it ends up being a perform... The, the final performance is... <laughs> is is so replacements in that they end up having like the sound guy and the 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 roadies getting up on stage playing the instruments so essentially the replacements are replaced got it got it that's good that's uh 
very classic them. Mm-hmm. Totally. But yeah, I mean, like after this record, I mean, even when this record came out, I think it, promotion for it was shit. Like no one cared. Like mm-hmm. I just think, like the label at the time kind of maybe promoted it a lot, but I don't even think they. You said that they toured, but I don't even think they finished the tour. Maybe they did. I, no, yeah. it was it was it was fill in musicians as well. I mean, there there's a lot of that, and 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 to speak to our our era of going to record stores and thumbing through you know, say half off clearance bins. I saw all shook down in every single one of those. Oh yeah, for sure. It's not a great record, but I think it was something that had to happen because, uh, we got Paul Westerberg's 14 songs out of it, which is a great record. Yes. I do love that record. He didn't have to answer to anybody. He didn't have to like, he could just do what he wanted to do. And he, he I guess he kind of did on, all stripped down, but at the same time, he had to make it feel like a replacements record still. Because mm-hmm. I don't know, but I feel like I feel like fourteen songs is like okay, we finally got he finally got his solo record. He finally got what he wanted to do, and he nailed it. It was great, and it was better than all shut down. And that should have been the final replacements record, but it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and he also did fucking single soundtrack. The two songs that he has on the singles are fucking great. Mm-hmm. Um, the follow-up uh, record, which is called Eventually, I think it's what it's called. That record's good, too. But then after that, I kind of lost touch with Paul. I didn't really follow up on the rest of them. And then um, Tommy went on to do Bash and Pop, mm-hmm. which their record's good. If you've never heard it, check it yeah, out. Yeah, it's Bash. really good. I mean, I would call Tommy almost like a Westerberg Jr. as well. Like, there's a... Yeah. There's a vibe to his singing that that's great, but he's also just rock and roll incarnate. The dude rules. He shows up in interviews, and I just love him. I, I love all the members of this band, and R.A.P. to Bob Stinson, who passed away, unfortunately. There, there are deaths in the world that are surprising, and then there are deaths in the world that are surprising and shocking. Uh as shocking as Bob Stinson's death was, it wasn't surprising given his battles with addiction and the the touring life and, and his own yeah. mental issues, unfortunately. I don't think when it happened, I think it wasn't, you know, like you said, it wasn't a shock to all of them, but it was still surprising. Huge profound law. Mm-hmm. Oh, did I lose you? That's about Paul, or about, um, uh, Bob, mm-hmm. it came out. I think Bob died in 2000. Or I'm sorry, 1995. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to say that's right. 1995. Let me see. Yeah, so it is on eventually, or or on 14. So I can't remember. It's from. It's. I think it's eventually. I can't remember. Don't quote me on. <laughs> no, that. you're fine. But the one on one of his first two solo records, he has definitely has a song about Bob, and it's a bummer because I don't think he ever got a chance to repair his relationship with Bob Stinson. I, I think they it was pretty strained. Um, yeah, it's really sad. I mean, Westerberg was at his funeral, and obviously, I think he paid his respects yeah. post mortem. But like, he didn't, get a, he didn't get a chance to do it in life, and that's right. kind of. I think it's kind of haunted him. Mm-hmm. I don't think he'll ever really admit it, but I think it's kind of haunted Paul. 
to the life. Because I mean, how how why wouldn't it? I mean, that was like his brother. Mm-hmm. They're fucking brothers. They grew up together and they created this fucking thing together. Like it's a big deal, you know. Totally. And I think life's too short to hold grudges or at least be oh, yeah. mad longer than a week when it comes to people you love and work so so intimately with. Um, but, you know, in retrospect, the, the band has, I think, uh, more than stood the test of time. They've redefined music for many people in many different places all over the world Westerberg is still an amazing singer and I've seen videos of him online in reunions from 2013 Riot Fest and uh, and seen interviews with his Tommy on different programs and different podcasts and these guys are all infinitely fascinating and continue to be inspirations for tons of people. But I'm still bummed. I'm still bummed I didn't go to see the reunions. Bummed. I should have gone. I just didn't do it. I feel bummed about it. But whatever. It's fine. I think it was it's meant to be. I don't want to spoil my my um I don't want to spoil my relationship to the band by seeing them, I think. Because I've had it done before where I've seen bands like reunite and I've seen them and it's just ruined the band for me. I get that. I get that. I, like, I was, I, you know, I was very scared. I, like the bot show, I was like, I don't know. I saw them back then and they were fucking incredible. So I don't know, like, is this going to ruin it? And it didn't. They were actually better. <laughs> that's that's they're awesome. Really, they're really great. But um, yeah, like I, it, I'm, I'm glad that the replacements are continually like I feel like now the replacements are one of those cornerstone bands that kids that get into alternative music they have to go through. Mm-hmm. Obviously, when you're getting into music in general, like Nirvana is like the second step after like the Beatles or something, which is incredible to think about now. Nirvana is a kind of band like the Beatles, right? That's fucking wild. Where it's like. You get into rock music, you listen to the Beatles, Led Zeppelin, Nirvana. <laughs> like, is your when you're a little kid, you know what well, I mean? Well, but if you think about it in 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 scope of history and and how in in its infancy, rock music is Nirvana was closer to the Beatles than we are to Nirvana now. Oh, for sure, for sure. That's wild to think about. Mm-hmm. It's insane to think about. And uh, I think any kid that gets into punk music or metal or whatever they have to go through that replacement phase mm-hmm. or you don't or you don't or you don't I and you just listen people, to i think most people that listen to the replacements like them i have yet to meet some meet someone that tells me that they don't like that band oh yeah and i i've, I've talked about this many times with like people who are maybe music fan lights or or big music fans who just haven't like necessarily dived in but they'll say like yeah bastards of young great song or I yeah. will follow. It. Yeah, it's on the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three soundtrack. I love it, or whatever. I mean, which sounds terrible, but are it's soundtrack. Are they on that soundtrack? <laughs> they are. Yeah, actually, in fact, I'm pretty sure the movie ends with "I will follow," which That's is great. So which is a great pull for James Gunn to throw that out there because that means like kids like my kids are going to hear that song subconsciously on at least that level and be like, "Oh shit," you know. Like that that ties them to a good memory of watching that movie with their dad. So get that money, Paul Westerberg. Get that money. <laughs> Holy shit. 
Uh, and with that, with that, we wrap up our two and a half hour mega episode on the replacements. John, I couldn't thank you enough for for being on this and being my music guy. This this was a pleasure. This was fun. I like talking about the replacements. I I can talk about them forever. <laughs> Dude, we rolled into this free, you know, nice and easy, and this was this flew by. Um, but I wanted to give you a chance with you on uh, to to talk or promote or whatever anything going on sure. with you. Um, so I play in a band, two bands. One's called Amusement. We've got two records coming out this winter. Well, they're seven inches. I don't want everybody to think they're like two full lengths because that's fucking insane. They're two seven inches, uh, two songs on each seven inch, um, and they should be available either at the end of December or beginning of January. But we have Bandcamp, Amusement uh, 2. Or just type in Amusement Portland, Oregon. And, um, I'll have a link in the episode description. It'll come up. And then I started another band with some buddies out here. We're looking for a singer. If you're in the Pacific Northwest area, which I doubt you're going to be if you're listening to this, but if you are, we're looking for a singer. We're called Spares. Um, I'll send that link over to uh, Ryan to put in the um, episode description as well. It's kind of cool. We don't have anything planned in coming out because obviously we don't have a singer. We haven't got any shows booked because we don't have a singer. Um, but we do have 10 songs, and they're really good. Um, doing that, what else am I doing? Um... That's it. That's all I'm doing right now. I'm waiting to have a kid. And that's the most important part of your life right now, my friend. But, you know, doing these things and the the music is is an added bonus that your kid is going to gobble up one day. And uh, and understanding your father, your parents is is a key ingredient to growing and getting older. So uh, I'm so ecstatic for you, man. You're going to make a great dad. And uh, I, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing some some ba- some babby pics when they come. Um, oh, but yeah, you can follow you can follow us at Zanzizi podcast on Instagram. We have that we have a discord you can join if you want to suggest episodes you, you can email us zanzizipodcast at gmail.com um also we have merch i have stickers uh tons print off john, john i gotta send you a t-shirt when i when i get a chance but i have t-shirts and yeah. stuff i've given to everybody that's been in this inaugural first season of this show um it's yeah, been be super successful for us i appreciate everybody who's done the five star reviews and um recommended to a friend i see that stuff it helps us exponentially but um I'm totally grateful uh, for the experience so far. These things, uh, sometimes it can be nerve-wracking, but it's so much fun to get a chance to sit down and, and talk with your buddies about cool shit like the replacements. So, uh, yeah, I any- agree. Anyway, man, uh, that's been your episode. Uh, it's been great having you on, and uh, we will see you next week. I'm going to play now. I- you won't necessarily hear this right now, John, but in the future you will. This is a cover of Kiss Me on the Bus by uh, the <laughs> my friendly co-host today on this episode, uh, North Lincoln, his band North Lincoln covering from a compilation. Uh, this is Kiss Me on the Bus by The Replacements covered by that band. Thanks, Ryan. Of course. Have a great one, folks.
This has been a presentation of Beer City Media.